Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend, everybody, and welcome to the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. Great to have you along this weekend. It's uh, an awfully busy time of the year as, listen, there's no hockey left going on except for the uh, AHL uh, final, the Calder Cup final. But with the NHL draft right around the corner and even progressing into July, there's news going on. We'll have the CHL import draft. Big news in the CHL, especially in the WHL today, which I'll touch on here momentarily, uh, but lots going on, and there really is no off-season, or there is, but it's like a month, and that's it. But it is great to have you along for the ride this uh, this weekend. Terrific show lined up for you today. I'll tell you who's on the guest list here in a couple of minutes, but first, title sponsor of the Pipeline Show being Wilhock Beef Jerky. Absolutely the greatest beef jerky I have ever had. Highly recommend you give it a try. If you are in the Edmonton area, there are three locations to go to. The original, it is in Leduc. Then you have Spruce Grove. And the most recent edition is the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall, just a few steps away from the Ice Palace. But if you are in Western Canada, then you don't have to make the drive into Edmonton. You can order it from their website. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, they will ship it to you. wilhockbeefjerky.com. Let's get into the news and notes and a huge breaking news here. As I'm speaking with you, it is a Friday at uh, 1 p.m. I'd started recording about three hours ago, but the big news with the Winnipeg Ice, they have been sold and will play in Wenatchee, Washington for the coming season as as they are now the Wenatchee Wild. David White is the new owner of uh, what used to be the Winnipeg Ice, so they become the sixth team in the uh, WHL's U.S. division, so there'll be uh, 11 teams in the East and the Western Conference, which is nice balance once again. It'll be six U.S. teams and uh, five in the B.C. division. I'm wondering if that means realignment here in uh, the Eastern Conference, if we'll see Swift Current go back to the East division, uh, leaving the five teams in Alberta with uh, the five in Saskatchewan plus Brandon in Manitoba. We'll see. I don't think there's been a formal announcement on that. This has been an evolving story here this morning. Uh, The news first broke by uh, Darren Dreger from TSN, so credit where credit is due. But it has been confirmed by the 
Western Hockey League, the uh, Wenatchee Wild themselves, and the BCHL has also confirmed it from their perspective. And that that's one question I, I still have is the Wenatchee Wild were in the BCHL. The franchise now becomes a WHL franchise. Same ownership, same management team, I believe. Probably the same broadcaster as far as that goes but a new roster because they're getting the Winnipeg Ice roster. So what does that mean for the the BCHL roster? That's still to be determined, uh, but as this is an evolving story, we might get a, re- a release about that here maybe today, maybe next week. I don't know, but as I'm speaking with you right now, uh, that is something the BCHL has uh, already put in their press release that they are, quote, As a league, we are assessing our next steps, including reviewing the best option for players currently on the Wenatchee Wilds roster and addressing schedule implications for the coming season. So definitely an evolving story, and uh, that's big news for the Western Hockey League. Uh, They're moving from the 1,600-seat facility in Winnipeg, which, I mean, that that is the downfall of the Winnipeg Ice right there. Uh, They left Cranbrook. Uh, with promises of building a new facility in Winnipeg. It's an NHL market. It's a, one of the major cities in Canada. Uh, but a building, they never put a shovel in the ground. Um, so that was a uh, a bad look for the Western Hockey League. And so the franchise now relocating to Wenatchee, Washington. The uh, building that they play in there is the Town Toyota Center. And I did some digging. It's uh, listed, at least according to the internet, uh, to be a uh, 4,300-seat 4, facility. Uh, I did have somebody who sent me a message that said they could expand it up to 5,000, or at least there were plans uh, to expand it up to 5,000 seats. It's a horseshoe configuration for the seats, so they don't go all the way around, but uh, much like what we see in Lethbridge and Brandon and in Swift Current, let's be honest, four to 300 seats, that's WHL size. And if they have room to go to 5,000, hey, what more can you ask for? Remember, I've had this uh, this vision of creating a fourth CHL league, splitting the WHL as it is right now in half with the East and West Conferences, renaming the Western Conference the PHL, the Pacific Hockey League, and having teams in BC and going further south into the United States, maybe even as far as uh, Northern California. But the biggest hurdle to that is finding facilities and owners. And you've got one here in Wenatchee. So I think it's great. I think it's great for the Western Hockey League. It's great to have a balanced uh, conference like that. Um, maybe we'll see 12 teams in each conference. <laughs> that's, a, that's a topic for another day. I know there are some people who are saying they're, it, it's too big already. And that this wasn't, I had somebody tweet at me, this was an opportunity for the league to cut a, a, a franchise. Uh, I disagree completely. I think the talent pool in Western North America has never been as deep or as talented as it is today. There are more hockey players in Western North America now than there has ever been. So I would disagree completely that the WHL has too many teams. I think the footprint of the WHL is too big, which is why I think there should be four CHL leagues. We'll see what the fallout from this story is as uh, it goes on. Uh, This, again, just breaking news here in the last three hours. Uh, moving on, another WHL story. The Edmonton Oil Kings made a trade. Uh, Luca Hauf has been dealt to the Seattle Thunderbirds uh, for a, uh, a late pick, a, like a seventh or an eighth round pick. I'll just pull that up quickly. I believe it's a, an eighth round pick. 
Uh, but why did they do that? It's because they have the third overall pick in the upcoming CHL import draft, which goes on July 5th. So they still have Wojtek Port, defenseman from uh, Czechia, on the back end, and uh, whoever they take third overall. The other big story to talk about when it comes to the CHL, as expected, Patrick Waugh has stepped down from his uh, role as uh, the head coach of the Memorial Cup champion Quebec Ramparts. Now, this is not a surprise. But at the time, the time that was announced happened to coincide with the announced sale of the Ottawa Senators. So a lot of people were jumping to conclusions that he was going to be the new head coach of the Sens. And that may still happen. Who knows? But we knew that Patrick Waugh was not going to be behind the bench of uh, the Remparts this coming season. That will be uh, Simone Gagne. But an interesting development there nonetheless. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Based out of Red Deer, the tap room is open. You can go in and enjoy some exclusive beverages right on tap there. Have some food while you're in town. Uh, but if you're anywhere else in Alberta, you can go to your local liquor store and they have access to all of the craft beverages from Troubled Monk. And it's not just beer. Not sure if your liquor store would sell their uh, craft sodas or not, but you can get those at most grocery stores I've been in. Uh, but you can get the spirits like gin and uh, the adequate vodka and Whatever you like to get to uh, wet your whistle, you can find that from the fine folks at Troubled Monk. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and see what the uh, latest creations are from the monk. I have four terrific guests for you today, and here is the order that they will appear on the show. Remember, we're talking with scouts, picking their brain. What we're doing is uh, I, I talk to the scouts ahead of time, say, here's some categories, pick one that you're comfortable with. And we'll talk about six guys that fall under that category, six guys that you want to talk about. Last week, if you missed last week's episode, we started it off with Chris Peters from Flow Hockey. He was talking about boom-bust players. And we also had Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. He handled offensive-minded defensemen. So if you wanted to know six offensive-minded defensemen, then you tune in and listen to Mitch Brown. This week, we begin with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. And he is tackling uh, undersized players uh, for this NHL draft. It's not just forwards. There's a couple defensemen that he goes through. If you're looking for who are those guys who are under six feet tall, some 5'11s in here, some 5'9s that we're talking about. Uh, Tony has a list of guys for you to consider. From that conversation, we go with Stephen Ellis, the prospect guy for Daily Faceoff. And we're talking about the masked men, goaltenders. For the class of 2023, it's considered to be a pretty good year for goalies in the upcoming NHL draft. We'll get to know six. Might not be the top six, won't be the first six that you hear come draft day, but six guys that Steven wanted to talk about. Then we go with uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, who are the top skaters available in the class of 2023. Some really notable players here that Scott handles and uh, will break down and profile for us. And we will end it this week with uh, Derek Neumeyer. From McKean's Hockey, and Derek is going to tell us all about defensive defensemen. Hey, it's in their job title. You need a blue liner who can play in his own end. Well, Derek suggests six guys who fit the bill. So we've got an absolutely loaded show for you. We're going to kick it off with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. He's up first. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Jasper Quinn has it in the deep slot. Quinn right circle. A shot arrives her. Saved by Gayon. Rebound. Gayon makes the save. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Adam Gayon at the buzzer in under. 
Hi, my name is Adam Gaian. I'm playing for G-Plus Field, and welcome to Five Point Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I can't sugarcoat this. We're at threat level midnight. Okay, we are back on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. You can go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, they'll ship it to you in Western Canada. It is Alberta's best beef jerky. Uh, we're going to uh, kick off this week's show with uh, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the program. How are things for you? Not too bad, getting to the end of the year. So it's uh, almost time to relax and breathe for a little bit, but a couple more weeks of work first. Almost time. Uh, were you at the Combine? Uh, no, I wasn't at the Combine, but I'll be at the draft in Nashville, so that'll be a good time to see everything go down. Yeah, that sounds like a nice, uh, fun trip, that's for sure. A work trip, of course, but uh, there'll be some time for uh, a little uh, getting after it. Yeah, exactly. Mostly work, but uh, there'll be some fun times, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to put you to work today as well, and uh, you know how this works, and I think the uh, the audience uh, has got a feel for it now as well. Uh, we got a category, and I said, uh, give me six guys that immediately come to mind when I uh, talk about this category. And for you, it's the small guys, guys who are probably under six foot tall. Uh, but today's day and age in the NHL, that's not holding a whole lot of players back anymore. Um, but I think still some casual fans might think, well, this guy's only 5'10", 5'11", he's not going to make it. That's not the case. And so we're going to talk about six guys uh, that you wanted to chat about uh, when it comes to the smaller guys. And uh, we're going to do this alphabetically. So you gave me a list of players, and alphabetically speaking, and, and maybe even uh, in terms of ranking, uh, this guy might be at the top for a lot of people. And that's Zach Benson from the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, I, I like this player a lot myself, uh, and I uh, got to see a lot of them over the last few years here in the Western Hockey League. Uh, I'm interested to, to hear your take on Zach Benson. Oh, yeah, Zach Benson. It, the thing with him is he's just such a smart player. He's only 5'9". People are going to kind of be a little shied away from that, but there may not be a smarter player in all facets of the game than Zach Benson in this entire draft class. Obviously, Connor Bedard is the smaller guy. I could have went with him, but uh, he's been covered enough. So I figured I'd go with the guy that I think thinks the game the best, and that, that is Zach Benson. Just the understanding of having not only a plan A and a plan B, like most high-end elite players do, but Zach Benson seems to have a plan D, E, D, C, D, and E are already in his back pocket as well. He kind of knows, hey, if this isn't going to work, I'm able to make this pass or make this move to get up ice and, and just further the play ahead like that. He does so many of the little things that create play positively. Playing on that on that powerhouse Winnipeg Ice team, there were guys like Matthew Savoy, Connor Geeky, Connor McClellan. There were so many really high-end players. And at the end of the day, it was always Zach Benson that stood out as the guy that stirred the drink. Yeah, I agree. I thought he was the, the, uh, the best player on the Winnipeg Ice, even if he wasn't the oldest guy. There were players who had a year or two on him 
Uh, but he was, uh, he was that, that straw that stirred the drink. Good analogy to use. 36 goals this year out of 98 points, 62 assists. Do you see him more as a shooter or a setup guy? I definitely see him more as a playmaker. He's maybe one of the most elite playmakers in the draft, in my opinion. I think his shot does get underrated because I think anytime somebody looks at a guy that's 5'9", 165 pounds, they go, ah, that shot's not going to play up at the next level. But he is a really quick release, and he's going to be able to at least put up a few few goals at the NHL level, I think. For me, it's going to be about his foot speed kind of getting up a little bit higher. He's got decent agility. He kind of works in into the small areas uh, perfectly fine. But it's that straight-line speed that you'd like to see boost up a little bit. So it's just going to be about physically maturing in that aspect. I don't have any worries about him, though, in, in reality. That's interesting because I, I kind of felt this, uh, the same way. In, in my head, he's really – he darts. He's in and out of traffic all the time and, and has a real quick release. He, he doesn't waste a lot of time thinking about what to do with the puck. But he's not a blazing – he's not like a super fast guy, straightaway speed like you were talking about. Can you be quick but not fast? Yeah, there's a lot of players that are quick but not fast in the NHL. It's not a trait that everyone possesses. Not everyone's going to be the, the speedster like a Connor McDavid, certainly. But even you look at that second tier of speedsters in the NHL, the Dylan Larkins, the William Carlsons, not everyone has that in their game. You look at Mitch Marner, he's not the fastest straight line skater, hmm. but he's able to dart in and out of traffic, kind of make those high-end plays just by the virtue of being able to be quick but not fast. All right, some similarities there between he and Mitch Marner? Uh, a little bit. I think Mitch is a little bit more creative, whereas I think Zach Benson's a little bit more methodical. Uh, there's a little bit of unpredictability to Mitch, whereas with uh, Zach Benson, it's not that he's not creative at all. He certainly has the creativity in his game, but he's able to kind of just pick pick a defense apart and just kind of exploit whatever little opening that they give him. Next on the list, as we continue talking here with uh, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News, draft guides are uh, available now in your uh, local grocery store or anywhere else you pick up the Hockey News. Uh, saw it when I was shopping for groceries just yesterday. Uh, next guy on our list is Gavin Brindley, who plays for the Michigan Wolverines, uh, coming in at about 5'9", 160-ish pounds, uh, so not very big. But it didn't hold him back at the collegiate level where he's playing against uh, a lot of bigger and stronger guys than him. 38 points in 41 games. Uh, a dozen of those were goals. And what do you like about Gavin Brindley? Well, the interesting thing about Gavin Brindley is that in the first half of the year, he came into the year and he was kind of going to be that fourth, fifth, sixth option with guys like Frank Nazar and Rutger McGrody up ahead of him and likely taking bigger spots in the lineup than him being a younger player. But when Frank Nazar's injury came up just before the start of the season, he was essentially forced to miss 90% of the year, they asked Gavin Brindley to step up. And through the first half of the year leading up to the World Juniors, he was making a lot of really good plays, making a lot of smart plays, but things just weren't clicking and going into the net for him. I think there was a lot of bad luck on his end of things. There, But the feistiness, the forechecking, which I think he's excellent at, he established his body position along the boards. He was doing all of the things you wanted to see. And then he went to the World Juniors, played for the United States team, Played on that third and fourth line was excellent. Provided some essential goal scoring deeper in the lineup for that U.S. team. Uh, made some really nice plays there with some of the guys lower in the lineup. And then he came back from that, that tournament, and he had 28 points in 21 games. Absolutely exploded. Outside of Adam Fantilli, who also exploded after the World Juniors, he was one of the hottest players in all of college hockey. And he was able to kind of boost his role up in the lineup. He, he ended up being relied upon up on that top line with Fantilli on the second line at times 
with guys like Rucker McGrory. It was really fun to see his development throughout the year because he was always seeming to do the right things. It was just he wasn't getting that production early on in the year. So it was hard to kind of justify putting him too high up in a draft ranking. He wasn't being physically overmatched. He wasn't being kind of outplayed by any means. He was driving shot differentials at a great rate. It was just not going in. Once it started going in after the World Juniors, then everyone started to kind of see exactly the gap in Brindley that I, I've been watching all year. Uh, similar player to uh, to uh, Zach Benson in Winnipeg, or, or what are the differences in their two games? Well, I think Zach Benson's that methodical chess match kind of guy. The guy's going to go in there and just pick you apart. I think Gavin Brindley is more feisty. He's more tenacious. He's going to get in on the four check, win a board battle against a much bigger player. There were times this year where I saw him throw hits against bigger players. He certainly isn't afraid to get in there and, and mash it up. He goes to the front of the net so often. I talked to him earlier this year, and he kind of just explained that his size, although is a disadvantage in some aspects, he likes to use it as an advantage to himself as well. He understands that he can get inside of, of, a, of a bigger defender. He can slip in front of a guy or, or kind of slip between the defender and the boards and, and understand that his skating and his agility is going to be able to get him out of the situation of getting pinned and stuff like that. And you saw him do it throughout the year. He took on bigger players many a times in board battles, mm-hmm. and he was constantly the guy coming out with it. I think the combination of his skill, speed, and tenacity is, is really what separates him, in my opinion. Would you be surprised if he's not a first-round pick? No, because he is 5'9", and uh, basically anybody that we're going to talk about today, for the most part, could slip out of the first round. I do think that there's going to be some team that's going to be smart enough to go, this is a guy that deserves to be picked in the top 25, um, if not the top 32. He's a really tenacious player. In that second half of the year, I know NHL scouts were starting to get big on him. That's Gavin Brindley uh, from the University of Michigan Wolverines. Uh, next up is a Luca Pinelli, who we know his older brother, Francesco Pinelli. Uh, but Luca plays for the Ottawa 67s, almost a point per game this year, 63 in 67 games, had 29 goals. Uh, he comes in at about 5'9", 5'10", and 160-ish pounds. Uh, there's lots of skill here, though, isn't there? Yeah, he's a really fun, skilled player. I think he's kind of the middle ground between Brindley and, and uh, Benson, who we talked about. Very smart player, but he has no no qualms about going and trying to throw a big hit. Um, he was one of the few guys that caught Connor Bedard at the top prospects game, laid him out along the boards. Uh, really nice hit. He's He was the 67th leading scorer in the playoffs. He was outstanding for them as the season wore on. He got a little bit of a, sl- uh, a slow end to the regular season, but once the playoffs hit, just blew up again and became the player that I was used to seeing early in the year. Really tenacious, really fun to watch. A guy that kind of bursts into little pockets of space. Another guy similar to Benson where his straight line speed may need a little bit of work, but he has such good edge work. He has such good kind of agility in and out of space, kind of weaves through pockets that you don't worry about the straight line speed because as much as that is a, a big part of the game, when you have the, the passing ability, the, the intelligence that a guy like Pinelli has, you don't worry about it as much. You know he can get the puck around without having to be the primary puck carrier, and he's going to be able to kind of affect the game in the offensive and defensive zone with that tenacity. So I think there's a lot to like about Pinelli. He's played, he played right wing a lot this year. He can play center as well, so I think that's another advantage. At the end of the day, I do see him kind of settling in on the wing, and I know there were some concerns about – uh, his older brother, Francesco Spinelli, skating and, and some of the agility work there. 
a lot of people have pushed that onto Luca this year, and I don't think that's fair. I think I, I was talking to Scott Wheeler recently, and he brought up the same point. It's not necessarily that he has a skating issue. He has a straight line speed that's average, but the rest of his skating is really, really good. Uh, Francesco was a uh, second-round pick, 42nd overall by the LA Kings a couple of years ago. Now, he's over six feet tall. Let's put it this way. Is it fair to assume that Luca is going to get a little bit taller, or do you think that the height is already topped out? Can he get to six foot as well? Well, if you talk to Luca, he certainly thinks he has an inch or two left in him growth-wise. So uh, I, I think there, there's a reality where we see a eleven Luca Pinelli in the NHL level when he gets there. Um, I, I don't think he's ever going to be this huge hulking guy. I, I don't think his brother is either. They're both kind of finesse guys. But I, I think Luca's a bit of a stronger player, a, a guy that has a little bit more um, force in his game. Hmm. So I think that's going to kind of allow him to – mitigate the size differential there uh you expect him probably in the second round maybe somewhere around francesco uh, where he went uh, at 42 yeah i think it's going to be interesting uh because he is a little bit smaller wouldn't be shocked to see him fall right but i know he said uh he said that a few times that him and his brother have discussed seeing if luca can kind of outdo his older brother in the draft uh all right we're going to go with a defenseman now uh coming in at 511 181 ish pounds axel sandin pelica who uh uh, coming over from Sweden, I know this is a guy who seems to be really high on some lists, a little bit lower on other lists, but he makes your list of undersized guy to uh, take note of. Uh, tell me why. In my opinion, he might be the best blue liner in this draft class. I think he is smaller, but he's not that small. He's not a 5'8", five, 5'7", five, defender. He's 5'11", 181 pounds. He's a guy that plays defense with his intelligence, understands that he gets to the spots defensively, defense transition really well, uses the stick extremely well, guides the guys off to corners and puts them in situations where they have to be forced into making a mistake or making a pass of their own. And he doesn't let, he doesn't allow you to beat him. He forces you to beat him. And I think the difference between those is a lot of times these offensive minded defensemen, these smaller defensemen give you lanes and, and allow you to beat them. They, it allows you to kind of dictate what they do on the ice. Whereas with Sandy Pelica, he dictates what you're going to do on the ice and forces you to make a really nice play that's going to beat him. So I think that's the big difference defensively with him and other defensemen of his size. And then the offensive game, I think he moves the puck extremely well. He's very, very confident at the offensive blue line, moves laterally, will take space if given to him, cutting into the slaughter, attacking down to the dots. There's a lot to like about his offensive game. He runs a power play extremely well. And, and I think in the modern game, he's a guy that, I think you can project as a, a solid number two or three defenseman because in this draft class, I don't think there is a number one guy. So you look into a guy like this where maybe you're a team like Detroit and you have Simone Edmondson and you have uh, William Wallander and you have Mark Sider who are all these big hulking defenders. Maybe that's where you're able to kind of bring in a guy like this who's a little bit undersized and you're able to kind of insulate him with one of these six foot five giants. It's interesting because he played 22 games in the SHL, uh, only had five points, but then he played you know 31 games with the junior program uh, for the same organization, had 36 points. I mean, that's that's a huge difference in production. And it was kind of the same at the U18 and the U20 as well because at the World Junior, uh, he only had one point in the tournament, but at the U18s, he had 11 points in seven games. So it seems like when he's playing with his peer group, uh, he's knocking it out of the park. So... Maybe it's reasonable to expect you might take two, three, five years, but eventually it's going to come around and uh, he could be a really valuable player. 
Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about him was at the World Juniors specifically, he came in as the seventh defenseman, six or seven, and he worked his way up the lineup. He was getting a lot of power play time towards the end of the tournament. He was exceptional against uh, the United States in the gold medal or the bronze medal game, sorry. And he played a really solid tournament as that tournament went on. In the SHL, they kind of asked him, they went, hey, man, we know you're good offensively. Like, we don't need to worry about that. We need you to come in and play a steady defensive game. Hmm. And he really took that to, to heart and, and played a really solid defensive game. He has, a, he has the aspect of not panicking. He doesn't, when he gets a puck in his own zone below the goal line, he's not a guy that's going to fling it off the glass and go out or, or create this off, awful turnover in front of his own net. He's going to quickly analyze the ice make the quick pass, whether it is to an open man or a bank off the boards to an, to an open man up the wing. He finds his wingers. He finds the center. He's a guy that doesn't panic a lot. I, when I talked to him earlier this year, I asked him about that because it was something I kept noticing in his game. And he's like, well, yeah, if I panic, then I'm going to make a terrible play. So why panic? And it's it, just that little mindset switch of his when he went to the SHL level, it was really encouraging to see because it shows you that even if his offensive game doesn't fully take the steps that everyone kind of thinks that they will, you're still going to get a really solid transitional, good defensive blue liner. Everybody has him as a first round pick. I'd be stunned if he wasn't taken in the first round, but do you see him more as first half of the first round or would you be shocked if he's there in the late teens and early twenties? I'm going to take a cheat for this answer. I think he's going to go in the middle of the first round. I think somewhere between 10 and 20, 21 is where you'll probably end up seeing him go. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the first blue liner off the board. I know Craig Button had him at number five on his list, if I'm not mistaken. So it won't shock me if he goes top 10, but I think it'll be the right team in the right situation that takes him there if he goes there. He's Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. Uh, Tony, next up for us is uh, Grayson Souchin from the Seattle Thunderbirds. It looks like Sauchin, but had him on the show. He says it's pronounced Souchin, uh, so we'll go with that. Now, we, it'll recency bias uh, for a lot of people because they would have just saw him at the Memorial Cup and deep into the WHL playoffs. But, man, there's there's a lot of skill on this guy, and he was on such a deep team that he was pl- probably playing further down the depth chart uh, than he would have on uh, most clubs this year. Uh, but still, the production was there, 58 points in 58 games. 40 of those were assists. Uh, tell me about Grayson Souchin for you. Man, Grayson Souchin's such a fun player. I think he's maybe one of the most underrated players from the WHL this year because we have so many guys like Braden Yeager, uh, obviously Connor Bedard and everything. So I think the thing with Souchin is if he was on basically any other team playing up in the lineup, he probably would be a, a guy that's in the conversation for top 20, top 15 even. I think his skill level is outstanding. The ability to kind of play a pro-style game, he plays a really mature game while blending in that skill. And I think that's a really rare trait. I think a lot of times you have these guys at the junior level that are highly, highly skilled players, but they have a lot of junior tendencies, tendencies to stay on the outside, not really focus on playing in the middle of the ice and getting the board battles and wins and all that, those little things. Whereas Grayson Souchin understands he needs to do those things to be able to play his highly skilled game. I think that's the big difference. He's a guy that I think if you had him playing with Dylan Genther and Brad Lambert, he would have been absolutely outstanding on that top line. I think if you had him playing in the bottom of the lineup like he did in that Memorial Cup run and in the WHL Championship run, he does a very serviceable job playing solid minutes, winning his minutes on a regular basis, and just playing a smart game. He can play on the center. He can play on the wing. There's a lot to like about this kid's game. And like I said, if he wasn't playing on a powerhouse team like the Seattle Thunderbirds, he probably plays way higher up the lineup. And at 59 points in 59 games, 
Kyler looks like 80 points in 59 games. That's really interesting because I, I know some people would say, well, he's got all these points. How much of it is just leeching off of his teammates? And, but you can make that argument for Brindley in Michigan uh, or with Benson in Winnipeg as well, right? I mean, these guys are playing with a lot of talented and skilled teammates, but that's a skill in itself to be able to 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 be able to produce with players that are that caliber. And at the next level, I mean, as you go up levels, you're just going to have more opportunities like that. But you have to be able to, to show that you can do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the more interesting stats that I saw was of all the WHL forwards, the only one that had more points per minute played was Connor Bedard. And, and that's really interesting because wow. Souchin, especially late in the year after they made all the, the trades and they made all the acquisitions up front, Brad Lambert came in, Dylan Genther came in. The Seattle Thunderbirds relegated him down to third and fourth line duties. And once he kind of did that, his minutes came down a bit. So you saw him still be able to produce with lower-end team, lower-end line mates. And it's certainly nothing against the third and fourth liners on Seattle because they probably be second and third liners on a lot of teams. So it's, it's seeing him be able to kind of produce in a lower level, seeing him be able to play that lower level and change his, change his role and adapt to the situation and still be a very effective player. All right, well, he played at Shattuck a couple of years ago and a teammate of his there is the last guy on our list uh, to chat about, and that is William Whitelaw, who uh, lit it up this year with the Youngstown Phantoms, 61 points in 62 games. He had 36 goals. Uh, and it started really well for him back at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. He had four points in four games, was uh, the second leading scorer for the United States at the Holinka. Uh, I had some questions about him, but uh, first tell me about uh, William Whitelaw and, and what your scouting uh, perspective is on him. Well, I, I've talked about a few of these guys being really smart players, being really intelligent players, both offensively and defensively. And I think William Whitelaw is the absolute home run hit of these guys. I think he has all of the offensive skill in the world. He plays with so much creativity. This is a guy that, while his defensive game is definitely going to need work, I think that's that's the one. He's the one guy in on this list that I'm like, yeah, there's still some questions on that aspect. His offensive game is an absolute firecracker. This is a guy that looks like an NFL wide receiver at times by tracking pucks thrown through the air into the offensive zone, pulling them down out of midair and making a great play. There, there isn't a better player in this draft class at, at receiving a flip pass from the defensive zone, and it's something that the, that he helped the Youngstown Phantoms Institute this year. He kind of tell defense that, hey, if you get that puck and you see me flying up ice, flip it. Get it in the air. I'm going to track it better than the defenseman is. I'm going to win that puck, and I'm going to get a great chance in, in the offensive zone. And he'd do it as a playmaker. He'd do it as a goal scorer. There are so many things where when he creates that havoc, when he creates that chaos, it throws defenders off, it throws opponents off, and it, and it creates this ability for him to be able to exploit open pockets in the offensive zone and just get into these great spots for himself and for his teammates. He's got a good, really good shot. I think he's got a really exceptional playmaker, and he doesn't get credit for that part of his game. There, There is questions defensively, but, man, this kid is so fun to watch. He might be the most fun to watch in this, of this group. Now, again, small, 5'9", 172 pounds. So I'm not sure, do you see him as a first-round pick or, or no? He's a borderline first-round pick for me. He's, he's the guy, kind of wild card in this group where I go, if, the, if one of these other guys are probably there ahead of him, I'm, I'm probably going to lean those guys. But, man, William Whitelaw, it won't shock me if someone team takes him at 28-29 towards the end of the first round just to kind of get, get that, that guy when they want him because, there, there isn't many players once you get to that second, third round that have the upside, the entertainment factor, the wow factor that William Whitelaw has. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. But being 5'9", 170 pounds, not really a, a benefit for him, at least in terms of NHL draft circles. Any red flags in your mind uh, that he was such a, a productive player for uh, the U.S. at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, but was not even invited to be part of the World Junior A Challenge team? Uh, I, I don't put a red flag on that. The World Junior A Challenge is always an interesting tournament, I think. They bring a lot of very, a lot of different players to that tournament. You can bring some older, older players like guys like Cole Knubel were invited there. So I think for him, it's mostly just, hey, keep that momentum going in the, in the USHL. He was exceptional for them throughout the playoffs as well. There's a lot to like about William Whitelaw's game, and I'm not too worried about him getting to the World Junior A Challenge. I, I expect to see him at the World Juniors over the next couple of years. Okay, interesting. All right, uh, that is the list of uh, undersized uh, guys that uh, you wanted to chat about. There was one other player I wanted to uh, to hear about, and that's uh, a guy that you like. No question you like him, uh, but it seems like uh, the, the consensus might like him more than, than you do, Tony. And, and for you, I, you actually gave me two names, but we're going to narrow it down to Colby Barlow uh, from the Owen Sound Attack. Uh, now, you like him. Uh, but if somebody else, if you're the, if you're drafting and a team right in front of you takes somebody else or takes him, you're okay with that, uh, because that means somebody like Moore has been pushed down to you. Uh, why is that for, for you and for Colby Barlow? Yeah. So with Colby Barlow, he's a really interesting case. I have zero doubts that he's going to be an NHL player. And I think when you value that in terms of drafting, I think that's where you, you see the value in Colby Barlow's game. With me, when I'm doing my rankings, when I'm doing my evaluations, I always look to upside, and maybe that sounds a little bit silly considering Barlow had 46 goals in 59 games this year. Probably would have challenged 50 had he not been hurt right at the end of the OHL regular season. But this is a kid that I think is very physically mature, understands what his advantages are physically, and knows how to take advantage of them. He, he's a guy that goes into the offensive zone, fires a puck from above the faceoff dots, and then follows up his own shot and bangs in the rebound if it doesn't go in. I, I know people have been talking about his elite shot. I don't think it's quite as elite as some people think. I think at the end of the day, there was quite a few goals when I was watching through his tape this year that would kind of squeak under the goaltender's arm and then just dribble into the net or pop off off the goaltender's shoulder and, and roll into the net or flip into the net like that. And when you see that those goals go in at the OHL level, you're like, yeah, but that's probably not going to go in at the, the NHL level. And, when it was one or two at the start of the year, I was like, okay, you got to get lucky. You got to be good to be, or you got to be lucky to be good. But when I'm watching his goals all at the end of the year, kind of just doing a review on his tape, I'm like, okay, like we're getting close to double digits when we're talking about how many goals are going in like this in just kind of fluky situations. Hmm. I think there's some tendency for him to shoot from low danger. And at the OHL level, that, that works exceptionally well. I think he has all of the traits that you want. He goes to the net. He's a smart player in terms of where he needs to be on the ice in the offensive zone. He's a physical player. I think he's going to be a really, really good middle six forward. What I can't really see is him getting that top line forward kind of treatment. And and if he does, how, how effective is he going to be in that role? I think some people that have him in the top 10 maybe even top 15 I think there's just other guys I'd rather take there. I think Colby Barlow is going to be an NHL player. I think he's going to be a very, very good third-line winger who kind of gives you a little bit of everything, can kind of play on the power play, kind of play on the penalty kill, and is certainly never going to lack for effort. I think his skating is a little bit underwhelming. Um, His straight-line speed, once he gets going, is fine, but the acceleration the first three steps is, 
isn't quite where you'd want it to be yet, so he's going to need to work on that. And the agility is a little bit worrisome as well. So I think while he has the tendencies, the traits, the habits that you want to see in an NHL player, those are awesome. This, the, the true skill level, the, the high-end talent, that, the dynamism, that's where you start to worry. So I think, I think Colby Barlow is no doubt going to be a first-round pick, certainly deserves to be a first-round pick. But where he's going to finish in an NHL lineup is more of where I question it. How is his World U18? Because he had four points in six games, which is okay, but there are a lot of guys who had more production than he did, including Matthew Wood and, and Max Celebrini, who had, were in the teens. Uh, but like Callum Ritchie had nine points uh, in that tournament. Uh, so f- having four points on paper looks fine, but in comparison to the rest of the team, doesn't stand out as much as I expected it would. Yeah, he's in, he was, had an interesting tournament. I know at the end of the regular season, he blocked a shot against Kitchener, and, and his foot was pretty mangled up from what okay. I know. He went into the OHL playoffs, kind of had an underwhelming playoffs as well, and then went to the World Under-18s, and I don't want to say disappointed, but it wasn't quite the level we all expected. And when you already have some foot speed issues, some agility issues, having an injury to your foot probably isn't the best thing to be going for. And as a kid like Colby Barlow, you're never going to turn down an opportunity to play for your country, represent the the Canadians of the World Under-18s. So I definitely see why he went. But at the end of the day, I think it kind of presented everyone with the issues that he was kind of dealing with all year, just on a bit more of an extreme scale. All right, I got you. And I I understand what you're talking about when you say physical maturity. He's he's 18 years old, but he's got a 28-year-old's beard. Hey, Tony, uh, this was terrific, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, Enjoy the draft, and I'm sure we'll chat uh, during the offseason or early into the uh, coming year. Sounds good, Guy. Thanks a lot for having me. That was Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News with a terrific rundown of some of the undersized uh, players that we need to know for the upcoming NHL draft. All right, let's get into it. The reason I said I had some questions about William Whitelaw, and I wanted to know what uh, Tony knew, about a month ago I received uh, correspondence from an NHL executive asking me what I've heard about William Whitelaw. And at that point, I said uh, I had him on the show very early in the season. I think it was uh, late September, maybe early October. He had played in the Holinka Gretzky Cup. We talked about that, and uh, because he was... One of the few highly touted players out of the USHL, that's not part of the development program, Uh, I wanted to get him on the show. It was before the World Junior A Challenge, so we obviously couldn't talk about that. Anyway, so my response to the NHL exec was just that, that I had him on the show. It was very early on in the year, and that was about it. I said, why is uh, something going on? Which kind of opened the door to everything I've been told and have learned have been able to confirm uh, since then. Now, not everything that I was told have I been able to confirm. I'll put it this way. I'll make it very clear what I've been told and what I know to be fact. William Whitelaw, second in scoring for Team USA at the Holinka Gretzky Cup this past August, not invited at all uh, to the World Junior A Challenge uh, team. And that decision, I'm told, was made shortly after the Holinka Gretzky Cup that he really rubbed people at USA Hockey wrong. So there's red flag number one. I'm also told there was an incident in the USHL near the end of the season, which involved Whitelaw and a player named Noah Powell, who plays for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. I'm told Whitelaw said something derogatory to Powell. Now, it should be known that Powell is a visible minority. He's not a white guy. 
Powell also happens to have a hearing disability. I do not know if what was said by Whitelaw to Powell was racially motivated or trash-talking around the hearing disability. I don't know. I don't know that that really matters, but that is what I'm told happened. In order for me to confirm that, I contacted the United States Hockey League. I also contacted the Dubuque Fighting Saints because I was told that the head coach for the Dubuque Fighting Saints, I believe the way it was described to me was wasn't shy about talking about the scenario or the situation or what happened. So I contacted the Saints to ask if either Noah Powell or the coach would like to come on the show and if it was the coach, talk about the rest of his team, talk about the season. It was his debut season uh, in the league. So it would have been a a full interview. It wouldn't have been simply about that one altercation. Uh, That head coach, Kirk McDonald is his name. But the reply that I got from Dubuque was, thanks for reaching out. The Fighting Saints organization doesn't have a comment on this matter. You'll note that is not a, we have no idea what you're talking about. It's a rather, we don't want to talk about it anymore. I pulled the box score from the game. Happened on uh, March 17th. It's the final meeting of the season between the uh, Saints and the Youngstown Phantoms. In that game, in the first period, uh, both Powell and uh, William Whitelaw given double minors for roughing. So I did not see the game. My assumption is that that's where the incident happened. You can imagine double minors. They're probably slashing each other, whatever happened. And in exchange of words, it doesn't seem to me that that's a stretch to imagine that's where it happened. However, somebody else I spoke with, with the familiarity of the USHL, the inner workings of the league, told me that standard procedure would be if there was something said that crossed the line in terms of uh, racism or something along those lines, it would result in automatic ejection. So I'm going to point out that William Whitelaw did not get tossed from the game. In fact, he scored a goal in the third period. So to get clarification on this, I contacted the United States Hockey League. They confirmed that there was a situation, an incident of some sort. They sent me a letter, which is dated March 31st, so I'm assuming it was sent out to the... uh, the parties involved, probably to both teams, maybe around the league. Media that I contacted to uh, ask about it, nobody had heard of it before, so I don't. Th- I think it was an, an internal letter. But anyway, the letter, the first paragraph reads, after a review by a third-party investigator that included interviews with witnesses from both teams and game officials, interviews of each person identified by the parties as possibly having relevant information, and review of game film, the USHL has not found evidence to support the claim that the Youngstown players used discriminatory language or conduct during the game on March 17, 2023. As a result, there will be no disciplinary action. So that's the official stance from the league. Slightly contradicts what I was told by, this is very secondhand information, but by, by the NHL executive who told me that it was overheard by officials and it happened right in front of Dubuque's bench, So all the Dubuque players and the coaching staff heard it as well. So apparently it was investigated. All I can go by is what the league is saying is that there was no evidence for it to go any further. If that contradicts how Dubuque feels, I don't know. I invited them on the show to hear their side of it. They declined, which is their prerogative. So we know that there was an incident on the ice that at least was serious enough to be investigated. should also be pointed out that William Whitelaw and Noah Powell were teammates at Shattuck St. Mary's. And 
What I've been told, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but what I've been told is that there were incidents there between the two players as well. So now we've got a talented player who USA Hockey wanted no part of at their World Junior A Challenge team. We have this incident that happened on St. Patrick's Day in the USHL between the player and his former teammate. Potentially a history of the same thing happening. And I'm told at least two teams have him as a do-not-draft player, meaning zero interest in drafting him. Not, if he's available in the sixth round, we'll take him. Do not draft. Now, I think we've learned recently with uh, Logan Mayu that eventually the upside and the skill will win out for at least one team. It didn't take Montreal long. They still made him a first-round pick. But you go back to the Mitchell Miller situation with Arizona drafting him and having to drop him a month later because of the public outcry, and it makes you wonder what happens with William Whitelaw on draft day. So again, the facts, not what I've been told, secondhand information, but what we know for sure. Four points in four games at the Holinka Gretzky Cup for USA, subsequently not even invited to the World Junior A Challenge. Incident on St. Patrick's Day that was deemed serious enough to be investigated by the USHL. And while not public, I can tell you at least two teams have him as a do-not-draft player. Everything else I've mentioned is what I've been told, cannot prove. So I want to make that very clear. Take it for what you will. When we come back, we're going to continue on with another scout. This time it's going to be Stephen Ellis from Daily Faceoff. And we're going to talk about the masked men. Six goaltenders you need to know from the class of 2023. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Eric Comrie from the Tri-City Americans. Break away from center. Vaskov coming in on Comrie. He's stopped by Eric Comrie. And the Golden Glove keeps it tied. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move! Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores! Gail McCarr. Gail McCarr. He scores! Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> Continuing on here on the Pipeline Show as the NHL draft gets closer and closer, and we uh, learn more about the uh, the players in the class of 2023. In this segment, we're talking goaltenders, and uh, my guest is Stephen Ellis uh, from Daily Faceoff. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I didn't get to go to the Combine, though. It's a little uh, bit of a drive from uh, from Alberta. Uh, you were there. Busy, fun experience, or is it how much of a spectator sport is it, uh, really, to, to go to a Combine? 
see it, for me i enjoy it like you know the actual combines part which is like the the player interviews with the the teams we can't see that but then right. you'll get the all the stuff of the training and stuff we like i don't care about that for me it's like you get a hundred prospects you could talk to any of them to me that as a, as a media guy is huge it's awesome so i love it i like going up to buffalo i love the food in the surrounding area which is a key part and uh, i also love that it seems like it's quicker for me to drive from i, I live in oakville outside of toronto it's quicker for me to drive the an hour and 15 minutes to buffalo than it sometimes is from toronto to oakville which is about a 25 minute drive <laughs> that's uh, that that's thanks to the nice traffic in the gta awesome all right we're going to talk about goaltenders uh we're all six that we're going to ch- chat about here were they all at the combine oh uh no not all of them uh okay. it's it's kind of like i think there was i want to say about six or seven goalies total all right that's fine uh, here's the uh, the premise for the listener's benefit. Uh, we chatted and decided you're going to handle the goaltenders. Uh, and uh, so we're going to talk about six goalies. doesn't have to be the top six goaltenders uh, out of the uh, class of 2023. They just happen to be the six that you want to talk about. We're going to do them alphabetically, so no particular order. Uh, but when you do that alphabetically, of course, you're going to get Trey Augustine up first. Uh, played for the U.S. National Development Program, the U18 squad uh, this year. Had a terrific season going to Michigan State. Uh, you, Stephen, I wanted to talk about him. Tell me why. Well, it's a guy that, you know, when you look at this record alone, a 31-2 and record throughout the entire season, and then uh, that doesn't include the World Juniors, but pretty much everything else with the U18 team, you know, there's very few goalies that have been able to compete like he has. And, you know, I think... A lot of people will point to that U.S. development team and look at that top line of Will Smith, Gabe Perot, and Ryan Leonard and say that's the reason why they were so good this year. But, you know, there's guys like Oliver Moore who, you know, Dan Muse, the coach of the Americans, always wanted to bring him up at any time. And then you bring up the great goaltending of Trey Augustine where, you know, he never needed to be, you know, at the U18s. He never had to be the superstar goalie. He didn't have to save games, but he had to be good enough. And that's what he was throughout the entire tournament. And with him, you know, he's not a big goalie. He's six foot one, but he's, you know, I think his mind is his biggest asset there. He reads plays really well. He doesn't get beat up a lot on the two on ones. Uh, he's very mobile, uh, great glove hand. Uh, you don't really see two bad games in a row. And that's part of the reason why he had really one loss this year. So when it comes to just the way he played throughout the entire year and capped it off the U 18, I think this is a guy that's got true starter potential, and he's got a couple of years of being the number one at the USA World Junior Team, too, which seeing him last year take over Kaden Marenko, who was the goalie the year before that, to become the number one was huge. I think that was a big sign of what this guy's capable of doing. And his stats might not look great, but he was very good in that in the round robin Uh not much you could do in, I guess, what was it, like a 9-8 bronze medal game, whatever it was. It's like there's only so much uh, goaltending that happened in that game. But I think that's someone that I really like and teams are going to really like. Well, it's been a while since Michigan State was much of a factor uh, in the NCAA. But they're turning it around, and he's got a head coach there that he's probably familiar with, and uh, Coach Nightingale, who was with the program uh, not that long ago. I think last year was his first year at Michigan State. So could be a, a, a guy who's a, a cornerstone for that uh, program to turn things around. I think so, for sure. And, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of the goalies for this year's draft are going to go to the NCAA. So we're thinking, we're looking at maybe two, three, four years until a lot of these guys really become pro quality goalies. But with him, I just think, you know, getting in the weight room and becoming a little bit of a bigger goalie. You can't really grow size, but you can add mass. And I think yeah. just adding a bit of that with while still maintaining the speed he's got in the crease could go a long way. Now, how do you feel about six one? Because I know you know you and I both know there are NHL teams. If you're not six three, they might not even look at you uh, when it comes to goaltending. For me personally, if you can stop the puck, you can stop the puck. Well, how do you feel about Steve? 
He's kind of at the part where six one's kind of the smallest I'd really want out of a goalie that I think could be a starter, but you know, I spent a lot of time looking today at some goalies from like the the mid two thousands. It seemed like Manny Legacy being as good as he was a five ten. It's like okay, but the game has changed a lot. But with with Augustine, I think six one is fine because he makes up for it in so many ways. He's just so quick, and uh, he never gives up on a play, especially when he's down. He'll still find way to make a save. So size hasn't hurt him yet. But you know, there's a bit of a difference between you know spot NCAA duty and, and USHL action. Full time college hockey will be a bit of a bigger deal. And then, but we've also seen you know. Devin Levi had no problem yep. being his size and looking good. So not necessarily being a small goalie doesn't mean you're gonna it's not gonna hurt you in the um, NCAA. But we'll have to see how it is in the NHL. But I think you know six one. I think that's okay. Well, when it comes to goalie prospects outside the NHL, I mean Devin Levi, one of them. Dustin Wolf also. Uh, what is mm-hmm. he six foot? I mean uh, those are two of the uh, the top ranked goalie prospects out there. So maybe it's changing a little bit. Uh, all right, then our next guy on our list. Well, he's not a, a uh, an undersized goaltender by any stretch. He's listed at six six, almost six foot seven, uh, coming from the hockey hotbed of uh, Italy. Uh, Damian Clara, who was playing in Sweden, I read your article a couple of weeks ago, so I was really interested to hear your take on him. Uh, tell me about Damian Clara. Yeah, he's one of my favorite uh, goalies for this year's draft, and part of it is uh, I just love international hockey, and I love seeing the smaller countries kind of shine through. Yeah. And for him, you know, he's six foot six, which really helps. But he was a starting goalie at the U18s, the U20s this year for Italy. But then he was also, you know, playing some pretty important games for Italy at the World Championship Division 1A. And he was on the World Championship team a couple years ago at 16 years old. Like, this is someone who, you know, being the number one goalie or the top goalie prospect in Italy is not the biggest <laughs> accomplishment. Um, but... The fact is that he could be the very first Italian-born player drafted and the very first Italian goalie drafted is a big sign. And there have been guys who have played for Italy that have been drafted, but they were born in Canada, United States, things like that. With Clara, like he was actually born there. and He, he moved out at a young age, is playing in Europe. He's been in Sweden in the U-20 league, and he's been very good. Uh, he's also played in some Hockey Elsvenskan games. I believe he only played like two games, but were good in those two games. So this is someone... Coming from like a, a more unusual hockey background, maybe hasn't a ton of scouts never actually got out to chance to see him. But I think our from the ones that have have always said good things about him and just talking to some guys who focus on goalies and saying like he could be a top five goalie from this draft. Now, you look at a lot of drafts, there aren't typically five goalies that look really good. Um, but with him, I, I just the size, you, you can't teach size, but he's got the speed, he's got the athleticism, he's got the things that you're looking for goalies that are slightly smaller to make up for their lack of size, and he's got that with the size. So it would be interesting to see what he could do against tougher competition than the Swedish U20 league, but uh, you know, if I had to guess, you know, CHL teams would be calling him to yeah. see what he could come do over here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask, is if you think this is a, a, the type of player, he's already 18, so I know a lot of teams would like to draft a 16- or 17-year-old and have him uh, for two or three years. But he's still got a couple years of junior eligibility. Uh, and I, I think this would make a lot of sense for a, for a CHL team to take a big goaltender like this. We'll see what happens there. I, I know, I think he, yeah, what you said, he played in the Allsvenskan a little bit this year, but most of it was playing junior in, in uh, Sweden, wasn't it? Yeah, and the thing that kind of go back to the CHL idea is, you know, for a guy like that, he could play you know, a year or two, and then he could go back to Sweden and maybe be a starting goalie in the SHL while right. uh, an NHL team's got his rights and see what happens there. And that wouldn't be a bad thing for his development. There's still a long-term thing here where, you know, he's he's got to be able to play better competition before we get really excited about him. But, uh, again, you don't 
typically find goalies this size with this much skill from a country like Italy. So it's just intriguing on that part alone. All right. Well, he's played pro a couple of games, so he can't go uh, college now. So uh, it would be CHL or stay over in Europe for him. Uh, next up is uh, Jacob Fowler, who was the USHL's goaltender of the year. He was really, really good for the Youngstown Phantoms all season long, and especially in the playoffs. Going to Boston College, that's going to be a, a loaded team. What a freshman class BC has coming in. And uh, Fowler, just one of them. Uh, lots to like about uh, Jacob Fowler. Now, he's 6'2", so he's not 6'6", but he's also not uh, 5'11", or six, uh, six foot tall either. Uh, so right in that sweet spot. Yeah, and he seems to cover a lot of the net. That was the first thing I noticed watching him with the World Junior A Challenge. Like, I didn't have his height and stuff. And I'm like, he's 6'4", right? And I was like, he's... He's six two. Okay, that surprised me. But it just you know you, you look at what he was able to do this year. Goal of the year, Clark Cup champion, MVP, things like that. Like he just did so much this year for Youngstown, and uh, the statistical contrast between him and his backup goalie uh, was quite a quite a big difference there too. Uh, so it wasn't like he was just playing on a, a good team, and he was obviously Youngstown was a good team, but it wasn't like he was being carried. He did a lot of the carrying, and uh, the World Junior A Challenge. It was not the easiest ride for the Americans. We always expect the Americans to do well because, in theory, the USHL players are supposed to be a bit better than what you're going to get in the CJHL. But he was, to me, one of the most impressive players. Every start was great for the Americans. He was great in the final. He just lived up to expectations. So for Fowler, I know a lot of – there are some that think he is the best goal in the draft. I'm not going to say that, but I think that – if he's drafted in the second round, I wouldn't be surprised. And that team has probably drafted their next big goalie prospect. So uh, there's a lot to like there. I get the sense there could be four or five goalies taken in the second round if, if things play out. Like if somebody doesn't get taken in the first round, he'll be in the second, and then there'll be three or four other guys that go quickly right after that. Is that the sense you're getting? Yeah, like talking to guys at the the combine, I'm like, who would you pick the first goalie and when? And I got four different answers, and <laughs> I got a couple for first round, a couple for second round. So I'm expecting the second round we're going to see a lot of goalies later, but we, we also know how the draft really works, where the goalie might actually be a very good prospect, but there's just enough forwards you got to take instead, and right. it just gets shuffled out just kind of no fault by the player. Steven Ellis is my guest uh, with the uh, with the daily faceoff, and we're chatting goaltenders for the upcoming NHL draft. Uh, Adam Guyan was uh, one of the the big stories coming out of the World Junior Championship, and uh, had him on the show as well this year, and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Just he's got a great personality, and what struck me was just he's still scratching the surface of what he can do because he, for most of his career, he hasn't had a whole lot of coaching before this year. So there's there's still a lot of upside here. Yeah, this is a guy that had to make his own demo tapes to send to teams last year. And, <laughs> and the steal and the NHL is like, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll take a chance here. And it worked out very well. And, uh, you know, like even at the Christmas time, heading the juniors, he wasn't on the team until a couple of days before the tournament. Yeah. And then he, he makes the team and, you know, we see everything that happened with Slovakia and everything he was able to do with that group. So uh, the fact is that some I always will preach, like, don't use the world juniors and like the, how a player performs for a couple games of that two weeks as a like this guy's going to be a great star. This guy's going to move up the rankings. But for Gayon went from on no one's rankings to maybe a first round prospect. And kind of how you said there's just the potential there is so high, you know. He's finally in a system that really worked. He's going to be going to college. He'll have a good opportunity there, and he'll continue to grow. But for someone who's six foot three, he's got all the translatable skills you're looking for. Played a lot of games where he faced forty plus shots this year. A couple of games of the juniors he placed faced over fifty shots. And you know, for as much as people make for how good he played against Canada mm-hmm. in that quarterfinal game, I think. Uh, 
I think it was almost more impressive how he played against the Americans in that shocking victory there because the Americans looked like the team to beat and Slovakia is like, sorry, guys. Uh, and, and that was because of Gayon. So uh, for him, it just the talking to scouts, it's like either he's a first round pick, he's a late round pick. No one seems to agree, but everyone can say the potential there. Who knows where he's going to be in a year or two? And of all the defense, the goalies in this draft, he's the one with me that I think has got the most upside. So I would not be surprised if he's the first goalie taken. Okay, that's interesting. Now he played most of the year in the in the Null with the Chippewa Steel half uh, six pack of games with the Green Bay Gamblers, but supposed to be going to uh, Minnesota Duluth, I believe this this fall. That seems like it's a big jump though to go from the Null right into uh, Division One, uh, especially in a conference like the NCHC. Uh, is that what you're hearing as well? That he's going to go uh, play for the uh, the Bulldogs this coming fall, or would he play a full year in the USHL with Green Bay first? I actually he he answered that at the combine. I just I'm drawing a blank of what he said. Ah. Uh, so I, I don't remember what his answer was. For some reason, I feel like he said he was going back to Green Bay. But regardless of what he's doing, uh, you know, I think the I would love to see him there in the the USHL. I think you know a full yeah. season that'd be good and. He doesn't need to rush to the NCAA. He's still developing here. Again, like I said, this guy didn't have a lot of coaching growing up and was on no one's radars a year ago. I don't think they need to rush him at any point. Uh, Michael Rabel is uh, the the big guy who uh, a lot of people would have as the uh, the top uh, goaltender for the draft. Uh, but again, that's uh, fairly arguable and debatable. But six foot six and two hundred and fifteen ish pounds, uh, so he's already got the size. Uh, didn't have great season in Omaha, but I said this last week on the show. You look at his uh, statistical uh, history for the last four or five years, everywhere at any level he's been, his numbers are outstanding, except for 31 games in Omaha, and that tells me that Omaha wasn't very good and that it wasn't necessarily the way he played. Uh, This seems like a really good goaltender. Uh, with a lot of upside again. Yeah, there were not many games where he was the reason that Omaha lost. And he only had nine wins this year. Um, But I just, he... He faced so many shots. He faced he had some poor defense in front of him. He had to do a lot to make up for everything. So I wasn't too concerned about the stats there. I think, you know, depending on who you talk to, some people said he had a horrible under 18. And you look at the record, he had one 4-0 record. I remember being in that tournament and thinking, like, you know, when he played against the Americans, it's like, is he the guy that everyone's going to put down as the top goal in the tournament? Right. There was a good argument for that. He was playing really well, and in that game against the Americans, he made 48 saves. Unfortunately, it was two weak goals in the third period that changed everything, but you know, there's only so much you could have done when your team doesn't score. And the game they scored the most goals in, they lost 8-3. to three. And that wasn't really his fault too. The Canada just was on the power play a lot. The checks just had nothing going for him. But I think that just again with the size there is very key being six, six. I think that he's faced so many shots, but hasn't had to have like these crazy like schedules of like playing like 50 games a year throughout these last couple of years. So yeah, I don't think he's going to be worn out. Um, and I think that, you know, he also told me originally he was going to go back to Omaha, but he is now definitely going back to going to Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. I think that would be a good opportunity for him to keep growing, keep developing, and, and maybe have some defensemen in front of him. I think that would be key um, because he hasn't had that throughout most of his career. But I think that this is the guy that if I had to ask scouts today who's the safest bet to be a number one goalie, it is. It's a rabbi. I think he's just got... Everything teams are looking for, size, skill, perspective. He's a good skater in the crease, which is also pretty good. He's not getting beat a lot, two on O's. It's just, I think, the thing that really showed up in the Holinka Gretzky last summer was down low. He struggled, and that didn't change with the U18. So he's got to figure out how to cover the bottom of the net better, which at six foot six, you know, you can't expect that. 
that stat line from the U18 is weird to look at. One and four record, a 311 goals against, which neither of those are great. But then he's got a 920 save percentage, which tells me he just got peppered all tournament long. Yeah, the game against Canada in particular really hurt his save percentage. Uh, it was the only one where he was under like a under a 900. But you look at like the first game, he made 39 saves, 29, 29, 28 in that loss, and then 48. Like yeah. he, it wasn't an easy tournament for him. All right, we've got one more goaltender to uh, talk about, and uh, one of my patrons uh, has submitted a question. It's John Barr from Sound of Hockey covering the uh, Seattle Kraken. He wants me to ask you about Thomas Milich uh, of the Seattle Thunderbirds, and we could have went with Scott Ratzloff as well from the, the Seattle Thunderbirds. But uh, Thomas Milich is on your list to chat about, and uh, lots to like about him. What a season he had. Holy cow. Uh, it's kind of surprising to, to think that he's been draft eligible a, a couple of years already and didn't get taken, but he's six foot. Uh, tell me your thoughts on Thomas Millich. Well, I got to say, I like that at the the Memorial Cup to kind of keep busy during off days. You know, the schedule is always kind of weird for Memorial Cup. He rented a guitar <laughs> from uh, La McQuaid to just kept himself busy and playing, writing music. Like, that's cool. Um, but with, with Millich, it's what a season. Uh, I think, you know, I'm always hesitant when a guy gets passed over twice and he's not big to think, okay, there's something here. But like what he had like six losses yeah. with Seattle between the regular season and the playoffs and was perfect at the world juniors. And I think he doesn't, you know, people will go back and say, Oh, if Connor Bedard, the way he played, of course you expect this team to be good and all those players, but Milich was very important. And he saw, we saw that those games were not easy uh, during the medal round for him. And he looked really good. And he outdueled Suhanik in the, uh, in the uh, gold medal game, which was very important. So for him, you know, just you can't argue with the stats and the numbers this year. And, you know, Seattle probably would have been fine whether it was Retzloff the whole way or Milich, but Milich was the guy. He was the one that, that took home the awards, who got most of the credit for what they were able to do and was the guy during the Memorial Cup. So uh, I think, you know, the, the biggest knock against him is his small frame. He's not a big guy, but just from a the – the stats, the results, you can't go wrong there. Uh, I think he's very athletic, very competitive, uh, and, and sees the net very well. And I think it's also worth noting that, you know, Dustin Wolf, we saw what he was able to do in the WHL, winning goalie of the year those years as, as a small goalie. Thomas Mills is the same size. So you see what he's able to do and how everything's gone. I'm, I'm very confident in his, his play. I think he'll be drafted, and I think he'll be late, but I think he'll be a very nice little late-round pick. Yeah, we mentioned uh, Wolf and, and Devin Levi, Dylan Grand, another one uh, out of the WHL recently who's only at six foot, uh, another top prospect. All right, that's the list of goaltenders we uh, wanted to talk about. And then there was one other player, didn't have to be a goaltender. I just asked you to give me somebody that you like, but not as much as uh, most scouts or uh, agencies out there uh, that uh, if you're drafting on draft day and someone else takes them, you're okay with that because it means somebody you like better has been pushed down to you, and uh, you're the second person to give me the name Jaden Perron. Uh, why is that, Stephen? Well, first off, I want to know who else said that, but with, <laughs> with, when it comes to Jaden Perron, it's like, I, you know, 48 assists this year, 72 points, great season. Uh, I think the second half of that year with Chicago was especially impressive. Um, but, you know, I'm also a little hesitant. You know, this is, as for as good of a player as Jaden Perron is, he is five foot eight. And I believe he clocked in around 160 pounds. And from talking to him, you can see he's not a big guy. I feel like I could have pushed him around. <laughs> and from a pure passing perspective, 
there's very few prospects in the USHL that was able to do what he was able to do this year. And he played very quality players this year. He had guys like Nick Moldenhauer, the least prospect, Macklin Celebrini, some you know small, not well-known guy for the 2024 draft, uh, and then Jack Harvey, who I feel like has been in the USHL for 35 years at this point. But you know he's had good players to play with, and he's making them better. My concern is, you know, is he just too small? And people will point out and say the young guy, oh, like, look, here's Gujo. Look what he's able to do at, at the, his height and stuff like that. But that's the exception. That's not the norm. Mm-hmm. And you have to be a super exceptional skater to go and make up for that. Uh, and, and Perron's a good skater. I don't know if it's fully NHL speed at this point or anything. And, you know, at North Dakota, I'll have time to improve that. Uh, I just don't know if his his assets are good enough to go against the negatives. And I've always been one to believe in the small guy. I'm just I'm not sure. I fully believe here. There's some people who think he might be a top 10, top 15 pick. That to me, I'm not even sure he's a first round pick. Okay. Well, that's that's the exactly the type of player that we wanted to talk about at the end here like that. Uh, and just so you know, it was Chris Peters from uh, Flow Hockey last week who uh, also had uh, Jaden Perron as, as that guy for him and for very much the same reasons that you just talked about. Uh, going to North Dakota like that, it's obviously a, a really good program with a lot of history of, of producing NHL talent. When he gets there next year as a freshman, it's gonna, where do you expect he's going to fit in? Will he have to play further down the depth chart than he would at at a a, a different sort of a program? I don't want to take anything away from other programs, but I used the example of Canisius last week. Let's say it's uh, Lake Superior State or something like that, where he might end up being a you know on the top line as a freshman at uh, at North Dakota. Maybe he's a third line guy. Would that be a a bad thing? You know, at a point, I almost feel like I want to see both. Uh, I want to see him maybe start the year high up and see what he can do when he's got the faster, older players to play with and how he can create those plays. But at the same time, I would like to see him be able to play a couple games where he actually has to grind things out. Let's see him build things where he's not instantly thrown into the top line and, and scoring because the issue with these smaller guys that aren't very physical is you throw them into deeper in the lineup because they can't make a scoring line and then they don't produce a ton i think i want to see him focus on getting everything else out of his game because we know he can put up points we know he can set up guys we know he can do that but what can he do defensively what can he do uh to add a bit of muscle there things like that and make smart plays where he doesn't have his high quality line mates to always rely on there too so uh i still i still believe He's a good prospect. It's just I wouldn't be shocked if this takes three or f- even four years till he's ready to go, and that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Uh, Steven, uh, lots of time here between uh, now and the NHL draft itself in a, in a few weeks, uh, well, two, three weeks. Uh, what do you have coming out at Daily Faceoff in terms of draft coverage? Well, I've got stories every single day leading up to the draft, and I will be there in Nashville. And uh, one that I just released was talking to scouts and actually got quotes from Chris Peters, a very smart guy, um, <laughs> and other players that have played against Connor Bedard to say what makes him so good. And it's actually quite interesting. I'll say that a QMJHL defenseman probably gave the best answer, uh, not what you would expect given Bedard plays in the WHL. Um, and then I've got draft rankings. There'll be a top 150 list. Uh, mock draft leading up and then just profiles and other things kind of going through uh, throughout the year so it's been a it's been a busy few weeks just kind of grinding out these profiles but uh, it's it's a good time of year I'm I'm also I don't know about everybody else but I'm a little sick of the draft this 2023 draft <laughs> because it feels like we've been hearing about it for so long I'm so ready for 2024 but when it comes to Nashville those two draft days I can't wait uh, it should be a lot of fun and uh, it was great tease on uh, all the stuff you have coming out so we'll we'll check that out at daily faceoff uh, Steven, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for squeezing this in. Yeah, thanks so much. 
Stephen Ellis from Daily Faceoff with a uh, look at some of the uh, goaltenders of note for the 2023 NHL draft. I was glad to see him add in uh, a couple of late rounders in uh, in Thomas Millich and uh, potentially in Damian Clara if he gets drafted at all. Uh, but it, just an interesting story, a guy coming from Italy like that and playing at a high level in Sweden. Now, because we only had six, that meant uh, a guy like Carson Bjarnason wasn't somebody that we talked about. But that doesn't mean that Steven or I feel like uh, Bjarnason won't be one of the first goaltenders taken. I'm sure that he will be. Who's your favorite goaltender for the upcoming draft? Let us know on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Maybe you can reply to the link when I uh, put out the early access uh, link uh, for this segment. And that way Steven can see your pick as well. By the way, a reminder that uh, seven-day free trials are available now at Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash show. Click on the $2 a month option, and you'll see right there, seven-day free trials. It's now a thing, and a good time of year to be doing it with all the uh, draft content, with all these scouts leading up into the NHL draft uh, last week, this week, and next week. Speaking of which, up next is Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Scott's category... The excellent skaters. Who are the best skaters in the upcoming NHL draft? Scott is going to tell us both next here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with him. Lafreniere pokes it ahead. Still has it. Rolling puck. Lafreniere works it. Shoots. Scores. What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere. A superstar in the making. This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Fights like an old lady. All right, we're back on the Pipeline Show as we continue getting to know players for the upcoming NHL draft. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you at wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right. In this uh, segment, we are going to speak with uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Uh, Scott, welcome back to the program. Thanks for doing this. I know it's an awfully busy time of year, so I appreciate you uh, shoehorning an interview like this in. No, I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a ton of fun. I just got back from both the Memorial Cup in Kamloops there, and also the Combine in Buffalo, and now it's just uh, waiting for the big couple of days in Nashville. Most of the work is is done. Just some loose ends and some content to release that's mostly been written already, and then we're ready to roll on uh, on Nashville. Nice, uh, lots of travel. So you're getting your frequent flyer uh, points building up. <laughs> 
yes, that it's that time of the year for me, for sure. All right, well, let's uh, get to know some of the guys that uh, are in your category, and that was the uh, skaters, uh, the the uh, top skaters in the draft. doesn't have to be the top six skaters. just happens to be six guys that you want to talk about who all have that connection, that they're all really good skaters. We're going to do it alphabetically with the guys on your list. And uh, the first one is Gavin Brindley, who was uh, playing for the Michigan Wolverines this year, uh, a little bit undersized at 5'9 and about 160 pounds. Uh, but when it comes to wheels, he's got big ones. Yeah, he's uh, an interesting one. I think he might have actually measured in at 5'8 at the Combine, but he's one of those kids who you run into him around the rink or at the Combine in Buffalo, and you realize very quickly that uh, while he's short, he's not small. He's a really, really strong athlete. as uh, one of those super sort of muscular, well-built kids. Uh, and then on top of that, the skating piece is, is a huge piece of his game, which every team wants it to be when you're when you're a smaller player. So uh, he's one of those kids that just sort of buzzes around the ice. It's not that sort of classical straight line, uh, long stride that just push you straight down the ice. It's more of a sort of crossover stride that he rattles around the ice with, but mm. he can fly out there and he goes from one battle to the next battle to the next battle, sort of making things happen and involving himself in the play and getting after it on the four check. And uh, you'd never know when watching him out there that he's the size that he is. So uh, a lot to like about about Gavin Brindley. He's uh, kind of the real deal in terms of the skating piece, the work ethic piece, uh, just a, a natural out there at, at sort of finding his way onto pucks and finding his way in and out of battles. And uh, that's a big part of the game these days is sort of, can you get to loose pucks? Can you win those battles? And then when you are in battles or you're sort of working along the cycle, how can you get off the wall? And with his quickness, uh, he's he's able to sort of dart around out there, so it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch. And he's a despite being a smaller player, is a bit of a favorite among scouts just because of uh, the the sort of determination that he plays with, if you will. Nearly a point per game player this year at the University of Michigan, which is a really good program. He's a young guy though, uh, playing uh, collegiate hockey. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about his teammate here in a, in a second as well. But sometimes with fast guys, their feet. Uh, maybe are faster than their hands and they, they can't seem to do both at, at a high speed. They can't control the puck or move the puck at high speed. With production like his, I don't sense that's the uh, a problem for him. No, it's not. And it's all getting to the inside also isn't a problem for Gavin. He's one of those kids who you would maybe look at him at first glance and think, oh, he's going to be a perimeter player because he's smaller. And that's just not the case at all for Gavin. He He gets off the wall and goes to the guts of the ice and he'll go to the front of the net to bang home rebounds and fight for loose pucks and uh that piece of his game is a bit of a calling card so that plus the sort of the puck skill that you'd expect out of a smaller player and suddenly you've got a really compelling player and a guy who despite being a potential first round pick isn't going to have to be a top six or bust type and could potentially sort of factor in as he tries to break into the league as a bottom six guy as well because of the energy that he plays with so uh, a lot to like as as in in Gavin as a potential sort of up and down your lineup type. He's also played center and the wing, uh, and played center a good chunk of both this year for for that team. So and and looked quite good, if I'm being frank, on uh, at center in, in college hockey as a teenager, which is no small task either. So uh, can play multiple positions, can play up and down your lineup, has skill, has the work ethic. It's it, there's there's a lot to like there. I don't know if you're a guy who does comparables, but it, it just came to me that you know is there. I wonder if there's some similarities. I'm not saying there is, but 
that you go with a guy who was at Michigan a while, a long time ago. But Andrew Cogliano, not a big guy, uh, a really fast skater as well. Uh, do you see similarities in their game? I don't know if you remember Cogliano when he was at Michigan. Yep, there's there's definitely some some sort of pieces of the puzzle there that line up. Uh, just in terms of the the work ethic piece as well. I mean, you mentioned the speed and right. a little bit undersized Cogliano. I think is a bit bigger. I think Cogliano sort of finished at five foot ten, five foot eleven, and uh, it doesn't sound like Gavin's going to get there. But certainly in terms of the the work ethic piece, the speed piece, the way that they play the game, the versatility and sort of reliability amongst coaching staffs, that was that was and, and sort of even has been recently the calling card of Cogliano who's had a really good career for several teams as an up and down the lineup type so I don't I don't hate that comparison at all all right we go to his uh, Michigan teammate uh, the guy everybody or most people expect to go number two in the draft and that's Adam Fantilli not a shrinking violet by any stretch uh, coming in at 6'2 and a, about 190 pounds and maybe he gets even bigger than that but uh, what do you what do you like about his game? And I guess that list uh, it might be shorter to, or easier to say. What don't you like about his game? Uh, it might be a shorter list that way. But tell me about Fantilli. Yeah, I mean Adam's a brilliant skater and has sort of all of the other pieces of the puzzle that you're looking for as well. It's not often that you see a six foot two, six foot two and a half kid who's probably going to end up at a playing weight above two hundred pounds who can really really fly around the rink and. That's that's become a, a, a huge sort of a factor, a huge betting factor in why teams are so high on, on Fantilli and what he might be. It's not just the skill. It's not just the competitiveness. It's not just the size. It's how he can put defenders on, on their heels. His transition package is extremely impressive in terms of breaking players down one-on-one, bursting wide or cutting to the middle on angles, uh, can, can just can put defensemen in compromising positions with his skating. And uh, that's, that's pretty rare. Typically you, you see the, the really athletic five foot 10, five foot 11 kids who can really fly around the rank. And in Fantilli, you've got a pretty unique player as, as one of the better skaters in the draft while also having that, that size element. So uh, it's been a ton of fun to watch him over the last couple of years. He's a, he's a real horse out there. He's the kind of player that can, uh, sort of play it any way you like. I, I had Bill Muckle, the associate head coach, uh, for his freshman year there at Michigan, tell me that he could uh, he could play it in the front yard or in the back alley, and that's a, a pretty rare combination and something that uh, NHL clubs certainly value in terms of the, the guys they target, the potential for playoff sort of quote unquote playoff performers. Uh, that's that's what teams feel they're getting in Adam, and and the skating piece is is a huge huge part of what that looks like. Owen Power went back to Michigan after his draft year for another season there. Uh, I don't know if Fantilli has uh, made it a, an announcement one way or the other yet. If he decides to go back, great. If he decides he's ready for the NHL, is that a mistake? Or do you think he could step in and, and be a, uh, a contributor uh, for uh, for Anaheim or whoever ends up taking him? I think he wants to step in. I, think the, the, I, I know that the staff at Michigan believes that he's going to sort of not be coming back. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's a foregone conclusion. I do know that there are teams around the NHL that believe that going back is is would be what's best for him. He could go back, have another sort of Hobie Baker type season, uh, sort of continue to fill out his frame and be a star at the World Juniors for Canada. So um, there, that's there, there's a compelling case to be made there. But I know that the expectation at Michigan is that he's gone. 
I had staff there tell me that they thought he was more ready to play in the NHL uh, coming out of his freshman year than Matty Beniers was coming out of his sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And we know that Matty is quite likely going to win the Calder Trophy in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, that speaks to their belief at Michigan and his readiness. I think he believes he's ready. I think that's part of the reason he went to play for Canada at the World Championships was to show it. Right. Obviously, a limited role there where he was mostly the 13th forward and then a little bit of sort of fourth line, third line time uh, in terms of usage kind of thing. So uh, a tough uh, opportunity for him to showcase it. But I thought even then he showed some real signs despite the, the production maybe being a little bit lower than he would have liked. Obviously made a highlight uh, highlight reel goal in the, in the medal round when the games mattered and uh, lots to like about about him, his season. He was brilliant as a freshman, one of the better freshman seasons in the history of college hockey. Uh, and I, my expectation would be that he uh, gives the NHL a go next year. Yeah, mine too. Scott Wheeler from The Athletic is my guest. Uh, we're talking about uh, some guys who are fleet of foot, uh, let's say, for the uh, upcoming NHL draft. And uh, that takes us to Nick Lardis, who split time with the Hamilton Bulldogs and the Peterborough Pete started with Peterborough but ended it with uh, Hamilton and had a really strong season uh, after coming over to the Bulldogs. 46 points in 33 games with Hamilton. Uh, tell me about Nick Lardis, because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's a player. No, I was going to say that he went undrafted last year, but he's still only 17 years old. So uh, there's uh, there's lots of eyes on him this year for sure. Yeah, Nick's a, a fascinating story. He was kind of the breakout star, if you will, of this draft class, the kid who rose from where he was at the start of the year to where he finished maybe more than any other. Uh, he was traded from the Peterborough Peets to Hamilton at the deadline, really exploded, playing to almost a goal per game uh, as a first-line player once he was in Hamilton with a young, rebuilding team, uh, was selected to play for Canada at the U18 Worlds and got off to a hot start there before kind of cooling off later in the tournament. Uh, just a, a natural, natural straight line skater. He's a kid who performed extremely well at the scouting combine last weekend in, in Buffalo, uh, really sort of impressed everybody there. Not the biggest kid. He's kind of five foot 10 and looks almost a little skinny when you run into him, but just one of those natural, one of those natural athletes who has really quick feet and the length of the ice and straight lines is one of the, the, certainly one of the fastest players in the draft. So, um, that that piece of it is is that's the defining quality. He's also got a sort of NHL shot. He likes to use his one timer. He's got a dangerous curl and drag wrister. Uh, but the the straight line speed is what's going to define Nick's game. And I think the expectation is that next year with a young sort of team in in Hamilton, although they'll they'll be playing in Brantford after a temporary relocation while they figure out their arena situation in Hamilton. The expectation is that he's going to be one of the sort of leading scorers in the OHL, if you will. So uh, I've got high hopes for for Nick. He's a, the, the skating piece will carry him to the NHL, I think. And then I think there's just enough sort of uh, around his game in terms of his shot and some of his sort of soft skill that he'll he'll figure it out. Uh, is this a second round type of uh, draft pick in your mind? Yeah, he'll be a, he'll be a day two guy, a very early day two guy. Wouldn't yep. be shocked to see him go early in the third round. But I think the majority of teams would sort of argue that he's he's more of a second-round guy. All right, Scott, now we're going to go to the blue line. We've got a couple of blue liners we're going to talk about. But first up is uh, Tanner Molendyke from the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, man, this guy's a lot of fun to watch. Not not big, 5'11", 176 pounds, but uh, he, he's, he's kind of a, a rover. He's a half-forward, half-defenseman. Uh, 37 points this year for the Blades. 
Uh, but man, he's a lot of fun. Yeah, with him, it's all about the edges. The next defender we'll talk about has a very different skating stride. But with with Molendick, it's it's all about the edges. It's all about the way that he crosses over and balances on his outside edges and his backward skating and his ability to walk the line. And that's what defines him as, as a sort of great skater in this draft. He plays extremely tight gaps against opposing carriers, uh, sort of a very active stick, sort of disruptive player coming back the other way defensively because of his ability to play tight gaps and stick with opposing carriers, which is an extremely, extremely important skill for, for all defensemen nowadays. You cannot be giving players sort of larger gaps because you're trying to compensate for your skating and he's just able to adjust to them and sort of stick with them in such a beautiful way. So that piece plus his his ability to sort of activate and join the play offensively. Uh, He told me at the combine that that was a big sort of point of emphasis in the second half of his season this year. He kind of went to his coaching staff and after I believe it was 23 goals, 23 games without a goal this year to start the season. And he went to his coaching staff and said, look, I think I can, I think I need to have the reins taken off a little bit here. And I'd like to use my feet to involve myself in offense a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And once he started to do that uh, and, and it didn't come with a sacrifice to his play defensively, then he became a really, really compelling two-way defenseman. And uh, despite being only sort of five foot eleven, he's also a very strong kid. Another kid who performed really well at the combine in terms of the physical element and the testing. Uh, a kid who's really strong in the gym in terms of lifting lifting weights. So I'm told. So uh, all of that is a, a sort of a feather in his cap and and sort of reason enough to believe that he's one of the better uh, defensemen coming out of the CHL this year. And another guy like Lardis that I expect will be a, a, a second round pick with, with maybe his small odds that he's a late first. Uh, all right, we'll get to that other defenseman in a second, but since we're going alphabetically, Oliver Moore is uh, in between uh, and up next. And uh, another forward with the U.S. National Development Program, always a lot of uh, skaters from the U18 squad uh, that uh, will be taken in the NHL draft. And uh, eventually he's going to go to Minnesota, uh, 75 points this year. Uh, with the program, including 31 goals. And uh, skating seems to be his uh, bread and butter. Uh, give me uh, your report on Oliver Moore. Yeah, Oliver's uh, the skater of the draft. And that's not even something that I would uh, I would debate with anyone. And it's not something I think a single scout in the NHL would debate, which is a pretty rare thing. Normally, there's clusters of these guys, and you can debate best shooter, best passer, best skater, all of that. With Oliver, there's there's no question he's the best skater in the draft. He's got a, a sort of rare, world-class explosiveness. Uh, he had the record in the state of Minnesota for his age group at one point in time uh, in the mile, uh, ran the mile in elementary school at, at the pace of some of the fastest high school runners in the country. Wow. Uh, could have been a, a sprinter, could have been a track athlete in another life. Uh, and is just a brilliant, brilliant, explosive skater. Uh, there's all sorts of comparisons to the great skaters, and we hear them all the time of talk about Connor McDavid and Dylan Larkin and Matt Barzell and those types. I don't think he skates at all like those guys. It's more of a sort of Nathan McKinnon, pure power skater. So uh, fascinated to see what he becomes in the NHL. I've got him in the top 10 on my board, but the expectation is that he'll be more of a 10 to 20 guy in this draft. Uh, and if that's the case, I think whichever team drafts him could be getting a, a really, really good uh, centerman of the future as well. He's one of the top centers in this draft and uh, is off to the University of Minnesota, which is a program that we obviously know is familiar with developing uh, high-end forwards for the NHL. So 
big, big fan of Oliver, not just how uh, sort of explosive he is in his skating, but also just uh, the driver of that team, the guy who uh, the, the coaching staff and the players on that national team in the U.S. this year would have told you is uh, the, the guy who stirs the drink in terms of effort level, competitiveness, uh, sort of really drove his that, that second line there at the program this year and was a huge part of that team despite playing behind a historically talented top line. So credit to Oliver for sort of establishing himself uh, alongside those guys as one of the best prospects in this draft, despite not always getting uh, all of the offensive zone draws or all of the power play time. Well, and with that speed, I wondered if uh, we might see as some centers at the junior or collegiate level end up moving over to the wing as pros. It sounds like you think he's actually well-suited to to be a centerman at the next level. Yeah, because of the athleticism and his strength over his skates and his ability to win battles and get after it on the forecheck and really drive a line and drag his teammates into the fight that way, uh, I think he, he he's as projectable as a center as just about anybody. The uh, defenseman to chat about as we uh, wrap up the uh, six uh, skaters uh, to you uh, on our list is uh, Tom Willander, who uh, comes over from Sweden. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of people expect he could be a first-round pick this year as well. Uh, not a small guy, listed at six one, six two, and about one hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, what do you tell? What can you tell us about him and why he made your list as uh, one of the better skaters in the draft? Yeah, as I kind of alluded to, very different from Tanner. Tanner's uh, all about the edges, and Willander is all about just how smooth his skating stride is, both forward and backwards. Uh, his ability to just, it almost looks like he's gliding around out there, but it's not. It's just a sort of picture-perfect smooth skating stride. Uh, and as a result, he's viewed by many as one of the very best defenders in this draft, not just in terms of transporting pucks up ice and using his feet to to go the length of the ice and, and join in transition and all of that, but even more so than that, his ability to defend the rush and to just swallow up coverage and to just be a lockdown guy with his length. He's about six foot one, six foot two, and just buttery out there in terms of how, how light he is on his skates and how smoothly he moves around the ice. So uh, a kid who midway through the year, even after a strong performance at the Fall Five Nations Tournament in Plymouth, was still viewed as a second-round pick. And then just as the season progressed through the, the winter Five Nations in Europe, uh, past that through to uh, winning a J- J20 title in Sweden at the junior level there, and then certainly sort of punctuated with an excellent, excellent 30 minutes a night performance as, as debatably the number one uh, defenseman on the silver medalist uh, Swedes at U18 Worlds. All of that has now uh, sort of solidified him as the consensus sort of number two or number three defenseman in the draft after David Reinbacker. And I think there's even an outside chance that he's picked in the fringes of the top 10 in this draft now. And if not then, then certainly shortly after 10. So uh, he'll be a top 15 guy. I think that's everybody's expectation at this point. And uh, it's largely because of his ability to defend with uh, how smooth his skating is. All right. And then there's one more player. I asked you to give me the name of somebody that you like, but probably not as much as uh, most other people who are evaluating uh, players for the class of 2023. So if you're on the draft floor and your team is up uh, and uh, the team right before you takes Nate Danielson, well, you're probably okay with that because that means somebody you like more has just been pushed down an extra spot to you. Uh, Why is Nate Danielson that guy for you? Yeah, Nate's a a really impressive player. There's a lot to like there. Uh, The the consensus on him, though, uh, if I were to survey 10 scouts today, he'd probably be a fringe top 10 guy. 
and he's number 20 on my list in this year, uh, ahead of this year's draft. And the big disparity there, I think, between sort of 10, 11, 12, maybe even 8, 9 for some scouts, uh, and where I've got him rests in just sort of the, the offensive ceiling. Uh, extremely athletic kid, plus level skater, plus level shooter, uh, good, good, decent skill, uh, was productive on a brutal uh, Brandon Wheat Kings team this year and sort of uh, dragged that team offensively. Um, lots to like. Uh, two-way game, centerman, has size, six foot one. I do worry, though, that uh, he, he as one of the older prospects in the class, I do worry a little bit about his statistical profile. He's been productive across his three years in the WHL, but not so much so that I'm excited about it. Hmm. And then just watching him play, I, I think he projects more as kind of a middle six center rather than a, a, a first-line center or even a sure-thing second-line center. And I think I would just like to be sure that I'm getting a top-six guy if I'm using a top 10 pick or a 11th or 12th overall pick on a guy like that. And as a result, I think uh, I, I'd be more comfortable taking him, even if he becomes a, a, a really solid middle six center, I'd just be a little bit more comfortable taking him around sort of 18, 19, 20 than I would at 10, 11, 12. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a, a second or a third line center, you, you got you need those guys to be uh... – uh, quite capable and uh, contributors as well if you're going to have success and if uh, that's what he ends up being. And you get him at 18 or 19, uh, that seems like it's a pretty nice spot for him. Yeah, that's that's ultimately where I I think he he belongs. Uh, the expectation is just that he'll he'll go a little bit higher. All right, Scott, uh, this has been terrific. I know you've got a lot of stuff, as you said, already uh, written up and uh, that will be released at The Athletic over the next couple of weeks. Uh, can you give us a bit of a preview? What do you have in store? Yeah, just continued coverage, my draft ranking and, and the package that comes with it of sort of 139 players that, that I've evaluated uh, as part of the ranking. is All of that is out. Uh, we're, we're now sort of to shift our attention towards the, the other tentpole pieces of my coverage every year, which is a uh, scout staff and player survey that uh, includes more than a couple hundred people this time around wow. that will be out uh, closer to the draft. Uh, Corey Pronman and I have a, a one debate piece between the guys that we disagree that's out at the moment and a second one that that's sort of in the hopper and on its way. And then I'll have things like class superlatives. So a, a little bit like what we're talking about today, the best skaters, the best shooters, the best passers, sort of ranking players on individual skills. So uh, lots between now and the draft still to come. And then once it's draft day, we'll we'll get right into draft grades and, and all of that fun stuff in terms of reacting to the to the picks that are made. All right. Well, your stuff at this time of year is the reason I have a subscription to The Athletic. So I'm looking forward to all of that. Uh, Scott, this has been fun. Thank you very much for this. And uh, we'll chat again soon. Thanks, Guy. Anytime and appreciate it. Always uh, appreciate Scott Wheeler's time when he's able to come on the program and uh, love his work that he does with The Athletic around prospects and uh, the draft especially but you know whether it comes uh, world junior time or world u18s he's always got great material and uh, insight and i really like his opinions we got another scout coming up to uh, wrap up this week's episode and that is derek newmeyer from mckean's hockey last week on the program mitch brown from elite prospects told us about offensive defensemen this week derek is going to tell us about the defensive defenseman who do you want on the ice to protect a one-goal lead with a minute left to go. That type of player, Derek, is going to tell us who is fitting that bill uh, from the 2023 NHL Draft. And that is next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. 
Adam Fantilli spins a pass though. Samuskevich up high, scores! The Stingray in overtime, up high! Pierce is won by Corpy and Chicago wins a thriller. Four to three, Mackie Samoskevich, welcome back, Stingray. Hey, this is Mackie Samoskevich from the Chicago Steel, and this is the Pipeline Show. Sarah from Buford loves Wilhawk beef jerky. My husband is an expressive fan, prone to waving his arms about, which is unfortunate for those next to him. And the snacks. Do you know how hard it is to get salsa out of carpet? It was a miracle when I found Wilhawk beef jerky. No more crushed chips strewn about or toppled dips. A fistful of jerky can be waved about with little mess to clean up later. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Who? Last segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and the program, of course, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it in three locations in the Edmonton area, or if you're in Western Canada, it's probably easiest. Go to their website, WilhockBeefJerky.com, and they will ship it right to you. All right, we're going to end this week uh, with another uh, scouting guest. Happy to welcome back Derek Newmeyer from McKean's Hockey. Uh, Derek, welcome back. How are you? Thanks. Uh, glad to be back. Always a good, uh, great time to uh, chat prospects with you. And, um, you know, um, we released our draft guide at McKean's recently. So yep. the big brunt of our work for the year is done. And now it's just kind of talking about the results of our work. That's what we're hearing. That's right. Now, we're, before we get too far, where can people get their copy of the McKean's draft guide? Yeah, it's on our website. If you just search for uh, McKean's Hockey, you'll find it there. You can get the draft guide. You can sign up to be like a subscriber. So you get access to our draft guide, our prospect reports, our fantasy guide, and various other things throughout the year, you know, articles we publish. So you've got some options for how to do it. And you can also find us on Twitter as well at, at, at McKean's Hockey. All right. And Derek is at Derek underscore N underscore NHL. Uh, that's, that just rolls off the tongue, Derek. <laughs> That's part of the reason why I picked it. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Uh, your category is the defensive defenseman. So these are the guys, in my mind, I'm picturing, all right, I got a one-goal lead with a minute left to go. Who do I want on the ice? And, you know, maybe they're obviously going to play big roles on their team, but any offense might be a bonus. First and foremost, these are the guys I want to shut down the opposition uh, when it's uh, when it's crunch time. You've given me the names of six guys. We'll go through them alphabetically, so this isn't in a particular ranking or anything like that. Uh, we're going to start with Oliver Bonk, who uh, is the son, obviously, of former NHL Erratic Bonk. He plays uh, with the London Knights. Tell me about uh, Oliver Bonk, who, unlike his father, is a blue liner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's a bit more of a two-way guy, but I think really his, his long-term upside is going to be on the shutdown side of things. He's just a very well-rounded defensive defenseman. You know, he's got good size and strength. He's got good reach. He's a pretty good skater. You know, not the most elite mover, not the biggest or strongest guy, but he's just really well-rounded. Um, I really like his hockey sense, too. He just understands the position really well. I mean, that probably comes, you know, into play being the son of a former NHLer. But I thought it was really telling how big of a role he played in London this year. You know, they were not afraid to send him over the boards. You know, that's a team that, you know, went far in the playoffs. You know, but he was there the whole time, playing a lot of minutes, playing in all situations. 
And there's just something to be said about the development factor that is the London Knights. You know, they just have such a great track record of producing NHL talent under the likes of Dale, uh, Dave, Dale Hunter there. And I, I don't think we've fully seen what Bonk is going to become. I think he's still a little early in his development curve. He didn't play in the OHL at all last year. So you might watch him now and see, think to yourself, well, you know, he's not like the best shutdown guy right now. But I'm doing a little bit of projection by putting him here. I think he's going to be a very, very solid top four right shot, um, mostly defensive defenseman, but a guy who can also chip in a little bit of offense at the NHL level. I think he'll be a guy that teams really lean on for, like you were saying, those, you know, last minute of the game, defending a lead, you know, top penalty kill. I think he's going to be the kind of guy who can play that sort of role for a team in the future. In my head, I had Radic Bonk as like six foot five or something, but he, he wasn't that big. He was six two ish uh, as a player. So I'm thinking Oliver, who's right now listed at six one and about 175, he's probably got a little bit of growth still uh, to go, and of course he'll fill out and, and get that man strength. But I can see where you, what you're talking about in terms of uh, being at the next level, probably more of a, a defensive defenseman. Even though he had 40 points this year in 67 games, so. <laughs> when I said uh, any offense from these guys is a bit of a bonus, man, he gave a lot of bonus for the London Knights this year. But I haven't seen a ton of them like you have, but at the next level I could see why you would say maybe that offense goes away a little bit as he focuses in on being a defensive guy. Is that fair? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I think he did a good job this year at generating offense, but I don't see a lot in his game that's projectable upwards as an offensive guy. I mean, he's okay with his shot and his passing. I think he sees the offensive zone well enough, but I don't think any of those traits are especially strong for him. I don't think he'll be a type of guy that, you know, plays on the top power play for a team, right. you know, maybe second unit duties, but I, I don't think he'll be someone that's trusted to rush the puck up the ice a lot. He'll probably be used more as a stay-at-home option. And I think that's okay. I mean, points will come. I think he'll be probably a 30 to 40 point player in the NHL at his peak, but his real value is going to be on the defensive side of things. And I think that's where London's going to focus on him uh, for the most part of the next couple of years. Like he's going to play a lot for them. He's going to be getting a lot of really tough minutes. And I think the shutdown aspect of his game is going to grow a lot in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, a lot of guys as juniors are playing different roles than they will at the next level when, Suddenly at the next level, you've got really elite offensive defensemen who are going to get those jobs. And so a guy like Bonk is probably going to focus more on the, on the defensive side. Uh, all right. Let's go to the next uh, guy on the list. And that would be a uh, Jakob Dvorak, uh, who uh, is from the Czech Republic and was playing over there uh, this past season. Uh, tell me about him. He's not a guy that's, uh, his name has not come up on this show at all this season. So you're educating me here as well as the listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he really did fly uh, fly under the radar uh, this season due to injury. Um, I first caught wind of him really at last year's U18s. He was an underager. He didn't play a whole lot. And then I watched him at this past summer's uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup. I saw him live in Red Deer. And uh, he really impressed me. Um, you could tell that his game was still pretty raw, but you look at the tools and how projectable they are. You know, he's about 6'4", 6'5", and, and a very fluid skater. You know, not the most powerful skater in a straight line, but very elusive, very fluid, uh, good crossovers, good lateral mobility, and just a ton of reach and wingspan. Like, he's just such a hard guy to get around um, with his one-on-one coverage, with his gap control. 
And this year, he played his entire year in the uh, Czech Pro League. So he didn't actually play at all at their junior level, which is pretty rare for a 17-year-old turning 18-year-old defenseman, even in the Czech League. It's not the strongest league, but you know they still have a lot of veteran players to compete with. So, he, yeah, he, he missed a lot of time. He came back to the U18s, and I thought he had a good showing there. Uh, he was the captain of that team, head of Edward Shala, which kind of says a little bit about you know his leadership abilities. But I just think he's got a lot of long-term pro upside as a shutdown defensive defenseman. He's not necessarily a guy you want handling the puck. Um, out of this list, he might have the lowest amount of offensive upside. He can be a little turnover-prone. Um, even just with his zone exits, he's a little bit iffy at times. But he's just really good at stopping possession on the other team. You know, he can pin guys to the boards really well. You know, he's, he can steer players into the corner with his stick. You know, he's just a really hard guy to get around or get through. He's a good disruptor. And I think he has the skating to do that at the NHL level to keep up with the speedsters of, of the league and, you know, at the high pace, which is not a lot of guys can do. So you've got a guy with his size and his reach, but also the mobility to kind of keep up with uh, the speed and pace of the NHL level. I, I think he's got a lot of upside there. And the fact that he's already playing his trade against men in the Czech League is a good sign that you know, he's going to be able to handle this kind of work um, down the road. I believe he was the captain for uh, for Czechia's uh, team at the World Junior. Uh, no, not at the World U18s. Um, so he's got some leadership skills there as well. And, uh, yeah, size, reach, like you talked about, those are all valuable assets for sure. Uh, really intrigued to see what he does maybe as the uh, the pyramid gets a little uh, higher and he has to challenge maybe at the U20 World Junior Championship um, this coming season. We'll see. Uh, Jakob Dvorak, that's an interesting one for sure. Do you see him more as a, uh, a, a day two uh, prospect? He's not going to squeak into the first round, is he? More of a second round, maybe third guy? I would say that there's probably a couple of teams that would kind of look at it. I mean, with the amount of time that he missed this year and the fact that he's a little bit one-dimensional, probably more of a day-two pick. But I think he's probably going to go higher than a lot of uh, people recognize. I mean, like I said, it's it's not often you see a defenseman of his age who can hold his own in the Czech Pro League. And he just has a lot of very projectable tools. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch at all to kind of forecast him as a top four NHL defenseman who pairs really well with someone who can move the puck. You know, you put him with a fast, right-shot puck-moving defenseman who can handle play up the ice. Dvorak hangs back on the defensive side of things. Like, that's a very foreseeable usage for him in the future, and maybe even on a top pairing. I mean, he's been a top pair guy for the Czechs, you know, internationally this year. You know, he's got leadership abilities. Like there might be down the road top pair upside here as a more of a shutdown specialist. It's kind of a long shot, but I think it's I think there's potential there that you don't see with a lot of other defensemen in this draft. And I think teams will bet high on that kind of long term upside. Uh, let's move on to a guy who is going to be a first round pick, and that would be David Reinbacher, who comes to us from Austria, who was playing in uh, Switzerland this past season. This is a player that I've seen ranked in the top 10. I've seen him ranked in between 20 and 30. Uh, where do you have him? Uh, and tell me why, because this is a guy who seems to be getting a lot of attention here, especially as the draft gets closer and closer. Yeah, he's definitely one of the bigger wild cards for this draft. Um, I would say the top 10 is a little rich for my blood personally, and, and we didn't put him in the top 10 in our final list 
at McKean's. He's got he's kind of in the middle between ten and twenty. I think we have him at fifteen or sixteen, if I recall, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, you know, a good player, like undeniably good player, a very safe pick. I mean, he's been playing all year in the Swiss Pro League, and he's looked good. He hasn't looked out of place at all. So when you've got a defenseman who can handle himself that well at a pro level at this age in, in a league with a lot of former NHLers in it, you know, that's a great sign. Um, I think that it's undeniable that he's going to be, you know, a long-term, you know, minute-munching defenseman in the NHL. But yeah, I still wonder a little bit about, the upside there. Um, I think he's, well, I actually kind of debated a little bit whether to put him on this list. He was, in terms of shutdown defenseman, he's actually the sixth name I picked because um, he's more of a two-way guy. His shutdown play is good, but I don't think it's truly standout. Um, his offensive play is good, but I don't think it's truly elite. But he's also made a lot of growth in the last couple of years. You know, his, his development is moving really quickly and at a great pace. So, one of the reasons why I'm including him here, and I think a lot of teams are so high on him, is that you know there's just a lot of possibility for how far he, he can go. When you've got a player who's shown the ability to make huge progress year over year, it's a good sign that he can keep making that kind of progress and keep growing. Um, he's got good mobility, good reach, good strength, uh, pretty good uh, head on his shoulders. He sees the ice well, makes good decisions. Uh, he plays at a good pace. You know, he's athletic. He's got good conditioning. You know, he's, that's kind of defense when he can go up and down the ice without breaking too much of a sweat. You know, he's always kind of chasing, or not necessarily chasing, but he's always around the play. He's always involved. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really solid all-around defenseman. I think he goes high if the team wants more of a safe pick, more of a slam dunk. Um, we put him a little bit lower on our list at McKean's, and also personally how I see him is just, I think there's going to be some other defensemen in this draft that eventually pass him okay. for what they can do at the NHL level. I mean, Reibacher's ahead now, no no denying that. But I think he's going to get caught and passed by some other defensemen in this class, especially since he is a little bit older. He's a 2004 birthday. Uh, a lot of the other guys are 2005, so they're a little bit behind on their development curve. But, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, there, there are a lot of people who really think Reibacher is a slam dunk, you know, best uh, defenseman in this class. And I don't want to say that's not a possibility because, like I said, he, he has shown a lot of ability to grow and improve, and that could certainly keep happening at, at a high pace. Excellent. That was a terrific setup uh, of David Reinbacher. Let's go to the next player on the list, uh, a Russian defenseman named Dmitry Simashev, whose name seems to be getting more and more traction behind it here as well as the draft gets closer. Big guy, 6'4", over 200 pounds now. Uh, he was playing in Russia, obviously. Uh, that's where all the Russians are playing right now. Where would you take a guy like this? And I know just that passport is a bit of a problem uh, for some guys right now as well. So you got to factor that in. Mm-hmm. We actually had Simashev as our top defenseman at McKean's. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why is because I kind of argued hard for that. But our Russian scouts also liked him a lot. But it, it kind of comes back to Reinbacker, actually. It's nice that they're you know mentioned side by side here because the long term upside with Simashev is enormous. You know he's kind of a unicorn in just with how he plays and you know his physicality and his tools and what he can do. It's actually kind of a shame that you know he was stuck in in Russia this year and people didn't get a, a good look at him because you know if his name was you know, David Smith and he was Canadian and he played at the Holinka, and he played at the U18s, and he played at the CHL Top Prospects game. I mean, people would love this guy. They would be talking about him nonstop because he's, he's kind of a unicorn in just what he can do. 
Um, for a six foot four defenseman, he's just a phenomenal skater. Like one of the best skaters in this entire draft class. Not just as for defensemen, but for defensemen forwards, anything. He's incredible. Uh, his edge work is razor sharp. He's got so much power moving north south, and he's also just really smart about how he plays. Uh, he actually started this year, um, or this past season, in the KHL, which is very, very rare for a defenseman. And he didn't look out of place at all, you know. He, the way he was gapping up on players, the way he was neutralizing them in the play. You know, he wasn't doing anything crazy because, you know, KHL is a very good league. But he was holding his own and just really showed a really good understanding of how to do it. You know, the way he can gap up on a, an opponent on the rush, you know, get a stick in there, angle into the corners. Uh, pin him, strip him of the puck without taking a penalty. It's all very high-end. Like, the nuances and small details of his game are very, very impressive. He didn't score a ton this year, but he, he does seem to have a lot more offense that's going to come. You know, he'd, he'd make a play at the offensive blue line that would completely undress a player to open up a chance. You know, he'd take the puck all the way to the net himself. Like, he's got really good offensive tools that haven't necessarily translated to you know, points yet. But the real upside of him is going to be as, as a shutdown defenseman because he really does have everything that you want. Like, if you were to make a checklist of the tools you want to have in a defenseman to be, you know, an elite shutdown guy, he checks off every box. And, you know, there are there is some risk about the contract and his passport and stuff like that. But if you're looking for a player who's going to be an impact NHLer, you know, as, as long as he's eventually allowed to come over, I mean, I think this is the guy. He's, like I said, he's a unicorn just with how he plays and his tools and for, for what he is, I'm, I'm very high on him. And I think, I think teams are going to be very high on him as well. Is Simashev or any of the guys that we've talked about so far, uh, Dvorak or Bonk or Reinbacher, are any of them, uh, you know, overly physical? I'm thinking like a Jacob Truba uh, type of physical player. Do any of them have that style in their game at all? Um, not so much. Uh, probably Simashev the most out of all of them. He does have a little bit of sandpaper. Okay. Uh, he doesn't necessarily go out chasing like the big open eyes hit, but he, he's not afraid of contact. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He can be a real like bull uh, in the corners and along the walls. So I think he's going to be a guy who does use his size well. He's already pretty filled out. He's pretty strong. Um, I think that's going to be a part of his game. And he also seems to have a bit of like a competitive edge to him in the games that I've watched. You know, I went back and watched his play in the NHL playoffs, and he was really stepping up. Um, you know, not a dirty player, not a guy who chases hits, but a guy who will finish his checks, a guy who will, you know, use his strength and his size if the situation calls for. He's not a gentle giant by any means, whereas Dvorak can be a little bit like that sometimes. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a smart physical player, but not necessarily like, you know, a punisher that, okay. you know, some other defenseman can be. All right, let's go to a couple of Swedes. Uh, we'll start with uh, Albert Vickman, who was at the World Junior A Challenge over here uh, playing for Sweden, and we saw him at the World U18 briefly, only a couple of games there. Uh, but uh, 12 points in 43 games for his club team this past season, also got into 11 SHL games, uh, listed at uh, 6'1 and 195-ish pounds. Uh, seems, at least on paper, to be one of those types of uh, players that we're talking about uh, as a shutdown defenseman. Now, what can you tell me about Vickman? Yeah, just a very modern shutdown defender. Um, he actually got into some playoff games for the SHL club this year as a 17- or 18-year-old defenseman, which is pretty rare. I mean, it's one thing to draft 
in the regular season, you know, injuries happen. And sometimes teams just want to get a young guy up just to try him out. But right. the fact that his team trusted him enough to play him in the playoffs, albeit in a limited role as the number seven defenseman, I think that really says speaks volumes. I mean, in the Swiss national team, you know, they've had him everywhere, the four-nation tournament, the five-nation tournament, World Junior A Challenge. And he's a guy who's always played a lot in those games. He's just a very well-rounded defensive defenseman kind of guy. Not the biggest, not the strongest, not the best skaters, but just a very, very smart defenseman. Um, out of this group that I'm listing, he probably has the best overall defensive hockey sense. You know, his positioning is incredible. He doesn't turn the puck over. You know, he knows how to take a player out of the play or just kind of slow him down without taking a penalty. You know, he can skate the puck out of his zone if he has to, or he can find the outlet pass. You know, he's not going to rush it up the ice, but he's very clean and efficient with his zone exits. Um, yeah, he's, he's just very well-rounded and very smart, very efficient. You know, you can play him shift over shift, and he's consistent. You always know what you're going to get. He doesn't, you know, uh, get nervous on the penalty kill or late in games. He's very composed. There's just so much solidness to him as a player. And he's not going to be a guy who scores a lot of points, but I could definitely see him being like a second pair defenseman, like a lot of these other guys, you know, playing more with uh, someone who's better at rushing the puck. But when it comes to that kind of role, I think he's very, very uh, good at it. I think he's definitely one of the better guys in this class for that sort of thing. But more of a second round, third round kind of guy? Yeah, second or third. He's a little too one-dimensional for um, the first round, and I don't think he's got that top pair shutdown upside that I would say that Simashev and, you know, to a small extent, Dvorak have. Uh, but if you're looking for a, a pick in the second or third round that has a very, very high chance of being a very solid, very consistent NHLer, I mean, he's a great option. He's not a flashy pick, and your fans might not get excited at their team picks him in the second round, but I really think he's going to be a guy who goes on to a long and effective NHL career. Maybe not quite to the same level as someone like a Jonas Brodin, but maybe like a diet Jonas Brodin. You know, he's a guy who's always there. He helps the team win games, but he's not going to see him in highlight reels or, you know, getting picked for the all-star game. Derek, one more guy on the list of uh, defensive defensemen to chat about, and another guy whose stock seems to be on the rise, and that would be Tom Wallander, uh, another Swede. And not quite as big as uh, Wickman, but uh, this is another player who uh, it seems as the draft gets closer and closer, seeing and hearing his name a lot more. Uh, tell me about Tom Volander. Yeah, he had a great season. Um, he started the year really strong at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Then he kind of slowed down a little bit um, and started the year in club play. Didn't get, you know, wasn't used the whole ton. Um, didn't put up a lot of points. But he's really, really projectable. Um, out of this group of six defensemen, he's the one who's best at using his feet to defend. So he's not quite as strong as the other guys, not as physical, doesn't have the reach, but he's just a very good defender with his feet. So his gap control, his puck retrievals on dump-ins, he's very escapable, he's great with his zone exit, he's very composed when he has the puck. He's just a really hard guy to beat. And it took, I think, a lot of people... Um, time and a lot of repeated viewings of him to really see the full appeal of just how well he defends. He's a great game manager, I guess you could say. You know, the puck always seems to be on his stick, and he always he's always making a great choice with it. Um, you know, sometimes he can have a little bit of trouble separating the man from the puck, regain possession, but he's still pretty good at it. 
And once he gets that puck in his own zone, he's great at getting it out. And that in and of itself is also part of being a good shutdown defenseman. You know, even if he gets pinned for, let's say, 30 seconds or a minute, if that puck comes to him and he gets it, he's getting it out clean. And that's a very, very valuable trait. Um, and as with his mobility in the NHL, you know, you, you need guys who can handle the Connor McDavid's of the world, be able to defend with speed. Um, I watch a lot of Miro Haskinen in Dallas, and he's one of the best shutdown defensemen in the NHL right now, not because he's big and strong or physical, but just because his gap control is incredible. You know, he's able to stick like glue to the fastest players in the league, you know, get a stick in there, deflect shots out of play or into the corner. Uh, well, Andrew's that sort of player. You know, not a physical guy, maybe won't make the most contact with the other players, maybe won't create the crease a lot. But he's just a good disruptor. He's going to get a stick everywhere. He's going to get in the way for blocking shots. He's going to be a very frustrating player for other teams to try and beat just because of how he can defend. And you have him as a first-rounder as well. I've seen his name you know, in the high teens or early teens, but I've seen him in the 20s. Uh, where do you at McKean's, uh, like this, uh, expect where he's going to go? Um, yeah, but somewhere in that range. Uh, I could also see a team going higher if they feel really comfortable with him. Uh, we had him at 23rd. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see him go higher than 23rd. Um, the big X factor with him really comes down to the offensive upside. You know, he didn't score a ton this year in junior. Uh, he had a nice offensive showing at the U18s at the end of the year where he was a point-per-game player. And he seems like he's got offensive tools. Like, he should be a guy who scores more than he does. So that kind of falls into where there's, there's varying opinions with him. I think if a team really thinks he's got a lot more offense to come, he could be a guy who goes you know, closer to 10 than closer to 20. Right. But if teams are all kind of in agreement that maybe the offense isn't quite there, uh, maybe there are guys with higher long-term upside available, I could see him sliding into the 20s, maybe the late 20s. But I don't think he'll fall out of the first round uh, just because he's very, very safe. In in same, similar way to Ryan Bacher, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be a guy who plays. He's going to be a guy that coaches trust. Uh, just a very good projection to be a top four defenseman. Probably more second pairs than top pair, but his odds of becoming a solid second pair defenseman are very, very good. When you're looking for a defenseman in the draft, you know, if you can find a guy like that in the 20s, that, that's a good win for scouts. Derek Newmeyer from McKean's is my guest, and that was a terrific look at some of the uh, defensive defensemen or more defensive defensemen. For the class of 2023. Now, we're going to end things off, uh, Derek, with uh, one more guy. Didn't have to be defenseman, but all I asked for was somebody that you like, but not as much as uh, most of uh, the the consensus out there. And that's obviously not to say you don't like Matt Vemichkov because he's a talent, talented player. Uh, but seems like more people like him uh, than you do. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, it's, and, that's, and that's really the case. Like, I, I want to be clear that I do still like Matt Vemichkov. I do think he's going to be an NHLer. I think he's a very good prospect with a lot of rare kind of talent, you know, with, with his hands, with his shots, you know, the way he's able to navigate through offensive traffic is very, very impressive. But at the same time, when I watch him, I just worry about what the long-term upside is there and how his game is going to translate to the NHL. You know, I, I don't have him in nearly in the same kind of tier as like your Adam Fantilli or your Leo Carlson. I don't like him as much as Will Smith. You know, he's, he's closer to 10 for me than he is closer to five wow. just because of how he plays the game. He, he's on the smaller side, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I also don't find him to be that great of a skater. I don't find him to be that 
um, great at creating separation space. Um, I don't find his pace to be consistent. He kind of floats at times that concerns me. He also has some bad habits that he'll need to get out of his game. You know, he's been such a good shooter for so long that he takes a lot of shots from medium danger or low danger. And, you know, it, at, right now he's, he can score with those shots. Um, but at the NHL level, I don't think it's going to work for him nearly as well. I don't see much off puck play. I don't think there's a lot of defensive uh, contribution there at all. So I just worry about what he's going to be at the NHL level. I kind of forecast him as more of like a 30 goal, 20 assist kind of forward, which again, that's not bad. I mean, every NHL team would be happy to add a 30 goal scorer, but you know, how high in the draft do you want to take a guy like that? You know, is he going to end up a first rounder or a first line player? Or is he more of a second line guy? You know, he'll be on your top power play, but he's not going to be killing penalties. You might need to shelter him late in games. It's just, I do worry about, you know, how, how his game is going to translate to the NHL level. And I, I watched him a lot this year just to make sure I was getting a, a well-rounded opinion. I watched him in the KHL, the VHL, the MHL, and I just saw a lot of the same concerns, you know, regardless of where he was playing. There are things that he can get away with now that I just don't think are going to work nearly as well at the NHL level. And I'm, I'm wondering how much he's going to be able to tweak his game to get there, especially since he's going to be staying in Russia for the next few years of his contract. You know, NHL teams aren't going to be as hands-on with his development and teaching him how to kind of tweak his game to the NHL level. His KHL team is going to develop him, of course. They want him to be a good player for them. But is he going to be developed into more of a successful KHL player? Or is his KHL team going to realize that he needs to change things about how he plays to succeed in the NHL? And I'm a little skeptical about that. So, yeah, like I said, great player. Just I wonder how great. And I think that there's this, there are going to be other players in this draft class that end up being more valuable long-term at the NHL level. So you see him right now as fairly one-dimensional. I mean, that one dimension is really good offensively, but outside of that, you, your concern is he might not bring a whole lot else to the table, and that almost sounds like Nail Yakupov to me. Uh, to an extent, yeah. Um, a, a guy that I actually went back and watched a lot of just for comparisons with Mishkov was uh, Eli Tolvanen, actually. So Tolvanen, if you remember, had a really, really good year in the KHL. I believe he was playing with uh, Jokerit. Um, he, you know, he scored a lot of points. You know, was a top player on his team. You know, everyone was really excited about it. They thought his game was going to, you know, carry over really, really well to the NHL because he was scoring so well in the KHL. And it just didn't quite get there. You know, with Tolvin and, and a similar problem with Mitchkov in my eyes, he just gets contained a little bit too easily. You know, with Mitchkov on, on Russian ice where there's more space, you know, he can get open a little bit easier. He can get a shot off a little bit easier. But I think NHL defensemen who are going to be bigger and faster and more structured, they're going to contain him a lot more. You know, they're not going to necessarily have to knock him off the puck or anything, but just get his stick in in the way, you know, you know, take away his shot lanes. I don't know if he's going to be able to create enough space for himself to get his shot off all that often. And I find he can also be a little bit like tunnel vision, visiony with looking for shots. I don't know if he's necessarily a great playmaker. There have been a lot of times where he would take a bad shot instead of looking around and noticing that there were a better uh, pass option for him. So I don't know. I mean, I, I understand why some people look at just the raw talent 
with the hands and the shots and the offensive sense and say, yeah, like this guy's going to find a way to make it work. But I'm just a little bit more skeptical about it. There's no denying he's a good player right now. He put up a ton of points in the KHL, which, you know, is not easy to do. It just, I, knowing how the NHL works, seeing like, you know, even last night how Vegas managed to shut down and neutralize the best players on Florida. And I'm trying to envision how Mishkov is going to be able to handle that sort of thing. And I don't know. It's, I, I don't quite see it, but I could be wrong. So that's one of the fun things about scouting. You know, you make your projections and you hope they're right. Derek, listen, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. And uh, at this rate, I'll talk to you again in a month. It seems like you're getting to be a, a very regular guest here on the Pipeline Show, which is great for uh, great for me. No, I'm happy to come back and keep chatting about this sort of stuff. I mean, I spent a lot of time doing it because I love it, and I'm happy to you know, share my work with others. What do you have uh, coming up at McKean's between now and the draft? Um, settling in a little bit, you know, keeping a tab on the sales of the draft guide and, you know, responding on Twitter to questions that people have, um, trying to see what else is out there for, you know, podcast appearances and radio appearances. I might be doing something exciting for uh, draft nights. I'm still, that's still in the works, but I'll tweet about that if it comes to fruition. But for now, it's just kind of settling in and seeing, you know, what, what else is out there and, you know, getting other people kind of primed for the draft with uh, the results of our work throughout the year. Outstanding. Uh, Derek, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Derek Newmeyer from McKean's with uh, some info on the defensive defenseman that he singled out uh, from the class of 2023. The NHL draft just a couple of weeks away now. Next week on the program, more scouts already have three lined up of four. There will be a fourth. At least that's the plan. Uh, so far, Brock Otten from McKean's is going to come on. We're going to talk about overagers, guys who have already been through the draft process once, didn't get selected for some reason. Maybe Brock, we haven't talked about his list yet, but maybe Brock will pick a guy who his draft rights are going back into the draft. We'll see who Brock settles on for that category. Josh Tesler from Smot Hockey is going to join us. So we're going to talk about playmakers from Josh. And then somebody I've been wanting to get on for a long time, Russ Cohen from EP Ringside and NHL Serious Radio. He'll be the guy that'll handle the goal scorers, top snipers, available in the class of 2023. And then I have an open spot still. One more guy I want to get on to address the sleepers in the draft. Guys who are not ranked in the top two rounds. And right now, that is open. If you have a suggestion or a request, somebody you want me to get on the show to talk about sleepers in the draft, let me know. I do have somebody in mind, but I am completely open to ideas. So if you want to hit me up with that, send me a note on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. But that is next week's show. Thanks to the four guests that you heard this week. Also, thank you to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show, where now, if you're not a patron yet, you can just try it out. See if you like it. Free seven-day trials. Now available at patreon.com slash the pipeline show, where instantly you're going to have access to every 2023 draft spotlight segment from this uh, season, season 18. In fact, you're going to get to go back as many seasons as are associated with Patreon, which I think is four or five. There's over 700 interviews that you'll have instant access to uh, during your seven day free trial. And if you think the show has some value and you want to continue with supporting the program, you can do that. 
couple of bucks a month or even less if you uh, sign up for an annual uh, subscription. And a bunch of people have uh, decided to do that, which I really I'm excited about. And I am also excited about the upcoming draft. And that is going to be the focus on the show for the next couple of weeks. Before I sign off, just a quick mention to TSN 1260 and the staff in Edmonton, here in Edmonton. It's where this show got its start back in 2006 on the air at TSN 1260 for 12 seasons. Met and worked with a lot of great people. And unfortunate news uh, this week that uh, Bell Media has shuttered six stations across the country including TSN 1260 in Edmonton, which created a lot of free agents. Put it that way. That's the optimist side of me. I know a lot of the on-air guys already had side gigs. A lot of them have their own internet shows and blogs, video blogs, or podcasts. So I'm sure we will hear and see from most of them still. But it's a shock to the system and a punch in the gut. As somebody who was on the station and then went to the podcast world, uh, there is definitely a learning curve and uh, a, a period of uncertainty. And I'm sure all of those folks are feeling that right now. So my thoughts are with them. But it's a talented group, and I'm sure we will hear from them all again. All right, that is going to do it for this week's show. Between now and next week, get caught up. Do your homework on the draft class of 2023 so we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Keith Flaming. Until then, see ya!